The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of March. Ira Bell, Dan Wagner, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector, Tristan Pantorado, Wilshire, White Wind Wolf L, Kara Link, and Marty Thompson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. My name is Neil Gilbert, and my co-host Mike Lane will be joining us very soon. But before we get into the episode today, we'll be covering Need for Speed and a few other racing games. We just wanted to uh, read the back of the cases now, like we do on the episodes where we have a lot of games to cover. Today specifically, I believe there's seven or eight. So I'm going to read the back of the cases now, as to not break up the flow of the episode later. If you wanted to, you can skip ahead, or you can listen to me read the back of the cases of all the games right now. The choice is completely up to you. So, with Without further ado, let's get started. First up, we have Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2. Dream Machines, Getaway Speeds. Own the road in the world's most elite exotics, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche, and more. Intense police pursuit with full squads of cruisers, choppers, and roadblocks. Immense, richly detailed open world courses. Choose your own reward path. Unique unlock system for cars, tracks, and more. Hot EA Games tracks, including Bush, Uncle Cracker, Rush, Course of Nature, and Hot Action Cop. Next up, we have Need for Speed Underground. Highly tuned for intense speed. Unlimited customization. Intense head-to-head competition. Unbelievable sense of speed. Introducing Drift, Slide, with Style. 20 of the world's hottest tuner cars, Honda, Nissan, Toyota, Mitsubishi, and more. Unlock hundreds of authentic aftermarket parts, body kits, vinyl kits, wheels, turbo, nitrous, and more. All-out fuel-injected drift, drag, and circuit racing modes. Hot EA Games tracks, including Mystical, Crystal Method, Rancid, Overseer, and Rob Zombie. Next up, we have Need for Speed Underground 2. Welcome to the ultimate driving playground. Race or roam on more than 125 miles of open road. Encounter underground races, hidden shops, and unexpected challengers. New detailed performance tuning and authentic visual customization. Create endless expressions of style. Eight exciting game modes, including the all-new Downhill Drift, Street X, and Showcase. Leaving the underground world, we now have Need for Speed Most Wanted. Become the most notorious. Exploit the open world as you master the art of strategic cop evasion. Modify your ride to beat any tuner, muscle, or exotic. Earn your rep in all new race modes, including speed trap and toll booth. Customize the look of your ride to elude the police in intense pursuit challenges. Win races, climb the blacklist, fill your rep sheet, become the most wanted. The last Need for Speed game here is Need for Speed Carbon. The battle for the city is won in the canyon. Take your skill and nerve to the edge in the all-new Canyon Duel. Customize your dream car with revolutionary auto-sculpt. Race to control the city, block by block, taking down your fiercest rivals. Affiliate with the tuner, muscle, or exotic car classes and prove who makes the best wheels. Next up, we have Reckless the Yakuza Missions. More missions, more mayhem, more reckless. Sweep the Yakuza mob-ridden streets clean in insane high-speed driving missions across a fully interactive, fully destructible Hong Kong. Blast enemies with the new car-mounted rocket launchers and blast friends in multiplayer showdowns. Take on cutthroat Yakuza Mafia as a top-level cop or spy in 40 insane missions, double the number of the original hit. Drive down the mob in high-speed pursuits, then explore the city in exclusive free-roam challenges. For even more high-impact action, don't break for pedestrians. What? Now, if they get in your way, they're gonna pay. This game tells you to run over pedestrians. I love it. 
Last up, we have Lotus Challenge. Lotus Challenge is a breathtaking driving game featuring Lotus cars from past, present, and future. Okay. From the early Lotus 7 to the new Elise, you'll take control of virtually every Lotus ever made. Experience Lotus racing history while you challenge your driving skills in races, stunts, challenges, and more. Get closer to 38 fabulous Lotus cars, 5 immersive game modes, collection, championship, single play, multiplayer, and the groundbreaking challenge mode. I'm sure that challenge mode is not groundbreaking. Stunning visuals and special effects, including realistic vehicle damage for each car. Superb physics engine with an advanced driving model tuned to perfection with the help of actual Lotus test drivers. Revolutionary steering control powers your driving experience to the next level. Pumping soundtrack by cutting edge dance music artists hybrid. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to my Back of the Case segment for this episode. That was a lot of fun, but without further ado, I do need to pass the microphone over to future Mike and Neil. So guys, take it away. The GameCube, GameCube. was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I got to talk to you about something very serious and near and dear to my heart. Um, I got to talk to you about uh, BO. Not my own BO, of course. I'm talking about other people's BO. You know, you're on the train, you're in an office, you're at school, and the person sitting next to you just has a, has a certain something to them, like a stink to them. And you got to wonder to yourself, like, obviously a lot of people must know that they smell bad, but there must be a, like a large group of those people that don't know. I always wonder that too, Neil. It's like the same question I have for slow walkers. Mm. You know, I want to, it's like Billy on the street. If anyone ever has ever seen Billy Eichner, <laughs> uh, Billy on the street, it's a great uh, little like, segment that he had for a while there. I don't know if he still does it, but anyways, I want to, you know, just go up to people on the street and just genuinely ask them, do you know if you're a slow walker or not? Yeah. I, I don't want to be offensive. I'm trying not to, I just, I honestly want to know. And that's kind of the same thing with, with BO. Like, do they know? Mm-hmm. Or is it just like, I don't care? Because you can be a slow walker and you can admit it. Right. And you just be like, honestly, I'm a slow walker. Screw you. I'd be like, okay, fair enough. Short legs, don't have the physicality yeah. to, to walk quickly. That's totally fine. But yeah, I, t- I completely agree. I would love there to be like, you know, like those little kind of boxes that are like a pole thing that you see at a grocery store where it's like, how was your visit today? And it's a red light <laughs> or a green light. I just want those popped up around Toronto and just saying, do you think yes. you're a fast walker, red or green? Like, yes or no. And right? let's see where people stand. If they, they might be wrong. I guess that, that that's all just self-imposed that those numbers, but with with BO though, it, it it's a tricky thing to bring up because like how do you like how do you even broach this topic with someone else? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think the big thing there, Neil, is like uh, when someone has bad BO, it garners other topics of you know who's close to them, who's not telling them because it's not my job as someone who you know if I just yeah. know them or work with them or something, and I you know I'm not friends with them on that deep level, but like. You and me, for example, you know, mm-hmm. friends of 20 years, if I smell bad at one point, I would expect you to be like, yo, dude, you smell. Yeah, I, exactly. You need to have that like a best friend or a, a partner or a family member who will tell you those things. If you don't have that person in your life, find somebody like it's, it's like it's like the Toy Story <laughs> thing. If you don't have one, get one, you know, like that type of thing. That's like 
that should be taught in school. <laughs> you should have somebody that'll tell you like, yo, man, you need to, you need to buy a belt or you need to, you need to work on your, your hair, or your BO or something like that. Like you just need someone to check you on those things. Cause you don't know, like, and maybe those people are, uh, they don't smell themselves. And I, I have to imagine that that's the case, but it's like, man, how do you not? It's really, <laughs> I, I, you've got nose blind. Yeah, I We're guess trying so. to get sponsored by Febreze as well. <laughs> <laughs> on top of our Manscaped sponsorship, we're also going for Febreze. Yeah, that'd that's be great. Right. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a good, good match, I suppose. But yeah, the, I don't I don't mean offense to anybody out there who does smell. And if you do notice it, I think you're on the right track. The first the first step is uh, is admitting that <laughs> you have the a, problem. Is yeah. admitting the problem exists and uh, go out there and uh, and invest in some good soaps. But uh, I mean, I, I can always do the, do the thing of moving away. But sometimes you just don't have that option, which makes it all the more frustrating. That's true. That's true, Neil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, Mike, I want to bring back a segment that we talked about a little while ago when we were talking about the new Bandai Namco logo. Uh, Mike's loco for this logo segment. Now, a couple weeks ago, we did get the announcement that Street Fighter VI uh, is coming out. Capcom put out that uh, that announcement, that surprise announcement, and they showed off the new Street Fighter logo. Did you get a chance to see this? Yes, I did, Neil. And before I dive into that, I just want to say... I like to give myself some credit because I think I willed Bandai Namco into <laughs> getting rid of that logo because they don't—they're not using that. They—they they're, they went back somewhat to the old logo. They—they mm-hmm. uh, they just made a little small changes with colors and fonts, but it's basically the same logo as it was. I yep. noticed this when I booted up Elden Ring, and I was mm. like, "Yes, they're <laughs> keeping this. Maybe they're going to use that Bandai Namco logo for maybe corporate stuff. Who knows?" But mm. uh, yeah, that logo was terrible. Yep. But yeah, the Street Fighter Six logo. Street Fighter has a wonderful tradition of great design, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the years. Obviously, you think of Street Fighter 2, very iconic kind of italicized font, um, very edgy, and it worked mm-hmm. for the, the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and they've been doing a similar style ever since, kind of making it a little more modern every uh, at every turn. And then this one was like this flat corporate, I think of a portal-esque looking. Yeah. I thought it was a joke. I saw it like a, on a bunch of meme pages and stuff for design. And I just was like, oh, like someone's saying, hi, I can make like a Street Fighter logo. Like that <laughs> looks like everything else. Yeah. And then, turns out it was real. It looks like the logo on the bottom of like you're watching Spike TV. And it's uh, the Spike <laughs> TV, like the little uh, icon there on the bottom right hand side of the screen. Yeah. And they even have, there's the black and the white one, which looks like that's the one that looks like a wrestling it looks like something on a wrestling channel or something but then there's the pink and the white one which is i i saw this and i was like isn't this the bandai namco logo like the new one because they went with pink and white as well but then i noticed like what you said bandai namco have gone back to their original logo which was the right choice uh but this looks like the exact same issue that bandai namco had where they went with the pink and the white logo it looks like some kind of a like a mobile like a discount mobile phone company (laughs) it does it looks like that it looks like uh, well, what everyone's uh, talking about is the fact that they think that they ripped it off from this uh, Adobe logo font page, basically. <laughs> uh, and it's just like the stock. It's like a stock logo. Honestly, yeah. if you like look up SF stock logo, you'll find this. <laughs> uh, you know, when I do designs, uh, when I do logo designs sometimes for different clients, I will start with like, you know, if it's a, like CC as the, the initials or whatever for the, the client, then I'll, you know, look up CC logos. That's just like, mm. you know, to get inspiration. So what happened here, someone was just like, SF logos, I found it, we're good, let's put a little six underneath there and uh, <laughs> spray paint, ship add, it. Add a spray paint effect to it as well. Uh, that's that's uh, That honestly might, like, make it even worse. <laughs> that's what makes it even more like a WWE kind of kind of logo. Like, I just think of some wrestling wrestling match going on here. Uh, but also the, the font, I don't know what font this is. It's some kind of blocky letters inside of a cube. A cube logo is very risky. The GameCube nailed it, of course, but this of one course. is not a good one. 
hexagonal hexagonal logo technically hmm yeah very true perfect logo of the gamecube but yeah <laughs> hopefully we get another one uh sometime soon we can have you review another logo it's been a while but i thought i'd bring this segment back for this uh this episode, and also an opening topic for this episode, was submitted to us from Patreon. Listeners, remember, you can support the show on Patreon. If you support us at the $5 level, you get your name read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic. All patrons also get the show ad-free and the occasional bonus mini-episode that we do sometimes at random. Last week, we posted our spoiler review of The Batman. If you want to go over to Patreon and check it out, that's for all supporters. Today we have a question from Marty, and Marty wants to know, imagine an alternative timeline where you guys got an Xbox or PS2 for Christmas instead of a GameCube. What are some titles you think your family would have bought you? Mike, I'll let you go first. What's a title or two you think your family would have got you if you got an Xbox or a PS2? Well, that's a great question, Marty. Very mm-hmm. original. I like that. Yeah. I was really thinking hard about this because it's cool to think of this alternate universe where we didn't get a GameCube. Yeah. And instead we're doing the Xbox was cool uh, podcast <laughs> or we're back to the PS2 podcast. Mm. But um, I think my parents would have gotten me a PS2. There's no way they would have gotten me an Xbox because in their minds, Xbox was associated with shooters and, you know, really mature games, which kind of was at the time. That was what Xbox was pushing. It was like the console yep. for gamers. Um mm-hmm. So they probably would have gotten me a PS2 because I'm sure other people had it as well. And I bet they would have gotten me, first thing they would have gotten me was probably Guitar Hero. Nice. Uh, because they ended up getting me Guitar Hero for Wii when I got the Wii in 2006. But GameCube, of course, didn't have Guitar Hero. So, mm. uh, you know, was a little late on that. I, I had to settle for Guitar Hero 3, which is still very good. Yeah. But I think I probably would have gotten maybe Guitar Hero 2 as one of, okay. uh, as one of the games. I'm sure I would have gotten a racing game, probably asked for Burnout 3, which was Mm -hmm. on PS2. And other than that, it was hard to think of because a lot of the big games that I had as a kid were games that were on every console, Uh, you know, the licensed games specifically. Exactly. I was thinking the exact same thing as you were when we we got this question was like, if I got an Xbox, which I think I've mentioned this on this podcast, how at first I was asking my parents for an Xbox back in 2003. 2004 because we had a a friend in the neighborhood who had Halo and I loved playing Halo so for a while there I was asking for an Xbox with Halo Uh, so I think that I probably would have been more likely to get the Xbox with with Halo and like you said with licensed games I would have got Spider-Man 2 which which I played when my dad my my dad was going to his boss's house for like a family dinner night we all got invited and uh, and I got invited too and to keep me since there was going to be nothing there for me to do, my dad knew that his boss had an Xbox and we figured out that, you know, Neil can go rent Spider-Man 2 from Blockbuster. And I brought that with me to this family dinner party and played Spider-Man 2 on Xbox for a while. So just the touchstone with Halo and Spider-Man 2 on Xbox, they would have tilted me towards that. But yeah, like a game like Nightfire is, is on Xbox, Medal of Honor and like the SpongeBob games. Like I would have got all of those on Xbox yep. or PS2 because they were everywhere. I didn't really have a ton of Nintendo published games in the GameCube era until way later when I started to get my own money in high school, I was buying my own games. When I was a kid, my parents were buying me and and my friends, like all of the licensed stuff that we liked because that's what they knew was was pretty safe. All of the Spider-Mans and the SpongeBob's and the Scooby-Doo. I think the only one that I owned was Mario Party 7. That was the only one I ever got. So other than that, I would have had a very similar... Uh, similar trajectory. The only difference, like you said, would have been Guitar Hero and probably Star Wars Battlefront 2 would have been the only different games. That's the one. Yeah, I was waiting for that one from you. I was like, you definitely would have gotten Battlefront 2. <laughs> yeah, that was the first game they gave me when I got my PSP was Battlefront yes. 2, and I played that for easily 100 hours as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking Sims. I almost mm, certainly yeah. would have gotten Sims for PS2, and I know we talked that Sims was on 
uh, GameCube, of course, but I don't think people knew that, honestly. No. <laughs> so I think my parents probably would have gotten The Sims because I played it on PC, and, you know, I played Roller Coaster Tycoon a lot, so they probably would have been like, oh, this is close enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but regardless of, like, what different timeline we think about, I definitely thank my parents for going the GameCube route. Uh, the more years that go by, the GameCube was the obvious choice. At the time, PS2 was the popular console. Uh, you know, everyone was playing... Need for Speed that we're talking about today, the the Tony Hawk games were big on PlayStation, but GameCube is aging the best of the three by a mile right now. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But Marty, thank you so much for that opening topic. We love to hear from our patrons, but we also like uh, to hear from our listeners through our other favorite segment, Mike. Why don't we uh, move on to that right now? That's right, Neil. It's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to leave us a review or correct something we got wrong on a recent episode or just let us know of a weird memory that we unlocked in a recent episode, you can write to us and we will read your message on the show. Just like Mike, who wrote into us today. Vexus from Discord wrote in to us today, Neil. And remember, listeners, you can join the Discord chat. Uh, the invitation link is in the bio on Instagram. GameCube was cool on Discord because people write us some very nice stuff on there, which is mm-hmm. uh, which is nice and very active community we've, we've got going, Neil. <laughs> so the writer here on Discord was Vexus, and Vexus said, Great podcast. Billy Hatcher slash Sonic was actually my first episode which was, I think, uh, episode 10. So this is an, Vex is an early listener. I love that. Uh, endearing friendship you guys have makes it a very enjoyable listen. And I also share the same... Crappy. Yeah, <laughs> I can get John here. Yeah. I also say, share the same <laughs> music taste. <laughs> nice. I don't know if we share a bad music taste. I think we have a very good taste in music. I think that we just dip into the... Uh, we have a few uh, guilty pleasure bands that we listen to, which we've talked about before. We're still living in 2002, Neil. Oh, easily, easily, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we do have a we do have a good friendship. I'd like to say that's very nice of Vexus to say, and thank you so much for listening. Now for 78 weeks, at least more than that, with our uh, bonus episodes in there. Yeah. That's a long time fan. That was a good episode there, the Billy Hatcher and Sonic episode. That was our Dreamcast episode, correct? That's right. That was one of my favorite ones to record, actually, because yeah. I I remember the research of it was a lot of fun because learning about the Dreamcast and everything that happened to it. And I always had heard for years, like Dreamcast was ahead of its time. And then you actually (laughs) realized you're like, wow, it actually was like, that's not just something to take lightly. Like this console was crazy powerful and had so many good games on it Mm -hmm. and then died. Yeah, And then died. (laughs) Since we did that episode, that's been one of the things that I've been wanting to pick up is a Dreamcast. I'm just scared of like, Will it work? Like, will the games work? Is it affordable? I haven't done enough research yeah. in 80 weeks, unfortunately. I, I, I'm i slacking on that one. But <laughs> I look back fondly on that episode because I think that it was around that time where I, I remember recording that episode. I think I was sitting cross-legged on my basement floor with a table in front of me. The first couple episodes we recorded, I did not have a setup at all. So, no, yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, the microphone was probably on a stack of DVDs. Um, <laughs> and I think after that one, we went away to the cottage shortly after that. And I was like, man, I need to get something set up in the basement or in my bedroom because this yeah. is not going to last 100 and <laughs> some odd episodes. But uh, come a long way. I'm now sitting in a chair on a table. So, uh, yeah, good times, the early days of podcasting. Fellas, it's not 2003 anymore, and like tending to crops in your Animal Crossing town, you also need to take care of your hygiene. And let's not beat around the bush, you need to keep your body hair under control. That's where Manscaped comes in. Manscaped is offering our listeners 20% off at checkout by using our promo code GAMECUBE. 
Choose from an arsenal of body trimmers like the Lawnmower 4.0 for the big jobs, the Crop Shaver for your groin area. They even have the Weed Whacker for nose hairs that your controller has to look at as it's perched beneath your face as you play your 15th round of Mario Party. Manscaped also offers a wide variety of lotions, gels, and oils for your hair, skin. They even have deodorant for your balls. Mike and I have been using Manscaped products in separate showers, mind you. We do do some things separately, and I have particularly enjoyed the ball toner and the performance package, and even though I'm only 28, the weed whacker for my nose hairs has changed my life. Level up from store-bought barred soaps and deodorants you have been using since 8th grade, and head on over to manscaped.com and use the promo code GAMECUBE at checkout to save 20% on your order. Now, back to the podcast. We're into the modern times now, Mike, with episode 88 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 397 games. Wow. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we talked about Batman games on the GameCube to celebrate the release of The Batman. You can also head over to Patreon.com and uh, check out our review of the of the movie. Spoilers are included there. This week, we are covering all the Need for Speed games on the GameCube, as well as Need for Speed as a series, as well as a few other racing games that weren't quite as good as Need for Speed, but we're throwing them into this episode anyway. Mike, is this episode a subtle reference to Back to the Future? Uh, because it's episode 88, and in Back to the Future, they must go 88 miles an hour. Wow, I wish I I wish I was that smart to do that, Neil. Wow, that, that was just a happy accident. Because at first I was like, why are we doing this this episode today? And then I was like, is it because 88? Because there, it's not really a milestone date or anything. No, it's uh, this is technically the 27th anniversary, I think, of Need for Speed. Uh, the original Need for Speed, I think, came out March uh, 1994. So Yeah, 28 uh, years. Uh, March 20th, 1994 was the original release of Need for Speed on the 3DO. The 3DO, I wanted to talk about that. That was crazy. Yeah. Uh, the 3DO is a console, Neil, which is... Uh, <laughs> well, and there are a couple of games that uh, are on the GameCube that actually were also on the 3DO. Hmm. Uh, the 3DO is a really interesting console. If you ever want to look it up, just there's tons of YouTube videos talking about this thing. Uh, hmm. But uh, I don't want to go into it too much. It's, uh, it's no... Um, Oh god, what's that console called? <laughs> the, uh, the the Gizmondo? Yeah, it's no Gizmondo though. No, no. <laughs> it's not that interesting. Nothing will ever be as interesting as the Gizmondo or the Gazebo. Or is it the Gazebo? No, the yeah, uh, Gizmondo, not. the Gazebo. Uh, what's the other one there? The Game.com. Oh, Game.com. So yeah, so many weird consoles that we've talked about. <laughs> but no, Need for Speed did have its start on the 3DO, and its original name was Road and Track Presents the Need for Speed, and it's the always, Need for Speed. It's like the, the. It's like Fast and Furious. The Fast and the Furious. Yeah, or the Facebook. Book. eventually you just have to drop the the and uh, and move on but yeah if you look at the game from 1994 it is completely different from what it eventually became in the 2000s which is when i think we can all agree the series hit its real stride that's right neil i want to take us through a little bit uh i want to take us through the history of need for speed here obviously like you said the need for mm-hmm. speed 94 first one need for speed 2 in 97 uh need for speed 3 hot pursuit was in 98 high stakes in 99 porsche unleashed in 2000 and there was also a need for speed 64 canceled game yeah uh, which i thought was really interesting they were mm-hmm. gonna ea was partnered with paradigm uh to make a uh, an entry uh for the n64 
and it was supposed to be really good the rumble it was going to have rumble pack support it, yeah. it was mostly done but it was ultimately canceled in late 1998 mm. uh, because ea had signed a deal with volkswagen to make a game around the new beetle and then it, it altered the Need for Speed uh, 64 project into Beetle Adventure Racing, which, you know, we all know and love, right, Neil? I do. I actually love that game. I have it. That's actually a hidden gem on the N64. That's a ter- that's a terrific game. It's no Need for Speed. It's very different, but long tracks, cool cool uh, like shortcuts that you can take, and it does have the Volkswagen Beetle in it. That's actually a really neat gem on the N64. Oh. But, yeah, no, it's, it's, too, corrected. Bad. No, it's too bad that it, it had to come at the cost of a Need for Speed game, though. That would have been awesome. Yeah, on the 64 would have been really cool. But we did get them for the GameCube, of course, which we're going to be talking about here. Hot Pursuit 2, Underground, Mm -hmm. Underground 2, Most Wanted, and Carbon. And there was also uh, Top Speed, which was canceled. It was an Mm -hmm. online-only game that they were trying to make at the time. So really ahead of its time to try and make an online-only game. Not for the GameCube, of course, but for PS2. Right. Uh, And it was actually going to be in... Uh, all Canadian locations, uh, mostly in Alberta, oh, due to the sponsorship of Travel Alberta Canada. Oh, that would have been so cool. I would. Lo- I love real world locations in these types of games, and uh, a level in Alberta or a game centered around Alberta would be so beautiful. Like you and I just drove around Alberta. Those highways would be a ton of fun to do, and even like a modern gen video game. I would love something like that but uh that would be so cool to see like uh to just drive around like the ice fields and stuff like that and yeah. funny enough uh aol of course was going to be the sponsor <laughs> <laughs> boy that would have aged horribly <laughs> and then we go into the kind of the third generation of need for speeds with pro street starting in 2007 we have undercover the uh the 2008 game shift the 2009 game uh nitro which was the one that was made only for nintendo consoles mm. uh which is supposed to be horrible okay. i've never played that game but i know it's really badly reviewed that's a wii game i think so it's a wii only game yeah oh boy <laughs> <laughs> uh and then we started to get a couple of, of reboots of the franchise we got mm-hmm. hot pursuit reboot in 2010 which is actually a very good game yep. uh shift to uh, Need for Speed The Run, which is... I've never heard of it before this episode. It's where but... they get out of the cars and they just go for... <laughs> That's they when they start running. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> Most Wanted reboot, which also had great reviews in 2012. Mm-hmm. Rivals in 2013. And then uh, Need for Speed, just kind of a whole reboot of the entire franchise in 2015. Mm-hmm. Payback in 2017. And the latest entry, Heat, in 2019. That's right. So all in all, in the last 28 years, we've seen 24 mainline Need for Speed games, as well as five spinoffs, which aren't technically canon, and four canceled Need for Speed games. Uh, all in all, the series has just over 150 million copies sold across all games, which puts it just ahead of Sonic the Hedgehog and just behind Assassin's Creed, which wow. is really neat. Yeah, That's had, insane. Yeah, it, it's a very high-selling franchise, Mike. Like, you have no idea. Some of the games in this GameCube, PS2, Xbox generation were selling between 10 and 20 million copies worldwide. Like, oh, it was a... I, I know. Like Most Wanted, I think, sold yeah. 15 million. That's right. Yeah, and some of the undergrounds were selling 16 million. Like, it was a beast of a, of a series, and it did continue into the 7th and now the 8th generation, and I guess, are we into the ninth generation now? Like, these games still do come out. We saw... Uh, we saw a remaster on Switch back in 2020. The latest entry in the series was back in 2019, which is Need for Speed Heat on PS4, Xbox One, and Windows. Uh, 
the thing about this franchise though mike is that it seems like that once the ps3 xbox 360 generation hit this the popularity almost fell off a cliff like it felt like that the, the reviews were coming out they were more mid 70s as a, as a as opposed to the eights that they were getting and they just stopped getting talked about as much like everyone owned a need for speed game with their ps2 that was not the case with the playstation 3 or the 360 yeah, I 100% agree with that. I, and, you know, you mentioned with ratings. Well, the only games that got really good ratings in the, at that time were the, the reboot games. Right. Hot Pursuit, Most Wanted, both getting 9s out of 10s mostly. Mm-hmm. While you have Undercover, you have Pro Street, you have Nitro, you have uh, The Run, uh, all around the 6s and 7s, uh, some 5s as well for Undercover. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. I mean, this is the symptom of any annualized franchise. It just, you know, we talked about it in sports games. We've talked about it with Call of Duty. Uh, you, you can't, you know, you can't, Assassin's Creed is another one. You can't expect to make these annualized franchise be great all the time. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, as as a publisher, EA specifically, you know, that's their idea is really just to make sure that games sell well. And that's right. the EA motto, right? They don't really care how great the games are. They just want games coming out every year, now t- every two years, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a successful franchise to, you know, kind of make the quota back. Exactly. It was an annualized franchise from 2002 to 2013, which is no small feat for a no. series that isn't Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed, which Call of Duty up until, I believe, 2023, they're going to be taking a break, or maybe it's this year, but uh, Call of Duty's been annualized for 18 years, so <laughs> Need for Speed coming pretty close to that record, but uh, yeah, now like you said, every two years, which I think is enough for a driving game, like there's enough driving games out there with Forza and Gran Turismo, it's got to be hard for some of these companies for some of these games to uh to stand out like that that's really from an outsider's perspective we talked about this on the burnout episode i'm not a huge racing game fan and for me it's really hard to distinguish the difference between between these games like i'm not i'm not a gearhead i don't know much about cars but uh i i like a good campaign and some good racing modes and that's about it and for me that would be enough for just one need for speed game on the gamecube as opposed to the five that we're going to be talking about today i don't know if i needed that many and as well this this franchise for me is heavily associated with the playstation 2 not so much the gamecube and the playstation 2 games are actually developed by a different studio altogether they're all published by ea but the series kind of took a bit of a turn when in uh, when with the uh, Hot Pursuit 2, it was developed by Black Box Games. And that's the, that's the game that everybody talks about, or the games that are developed by Black Box. That's right, yeah. Black Box, a Vancouver-based, well, Burnaby-based company in Canada, mm-hmm. um, they eventually merged with EA Canada. That was their fate, so they don't exist anymore as a, as a proper company. But um, EA mm-hmm. Canada was also in Vancouver, so it, it did make sense. But Black Box was the one who made the good games basically that's what right. they were known for was these great racing engines uh, that they kind of just kept building on top of i think of this you know ea vancouver and that area at this time was you know just pumping out great games uh you know i think of the nhl franchise too right. uh from 2002 to 2006 that is the golden age of nhl games made by similar people too so mm-hmm. like it's uh this this was a really cool time to be a Vancouver game developer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to be an employee of EA. Like, I'm yeah. sure that there's some horror stories of working for EA, especially today, but even back then. But it seemed like EA was really putting out good stuff. And they were, like, a well-praised studio in, in the 2000s. Like, they, there wasn't as much social media and, and as many eyes on game development back then. But it seems like that this was, like, the golden era Still, um, it would have been it would have been a fun place to work, I think, in in the two thousands. But uh, well, this was before EA also was you know basically buying out competition. 
Sure. Because at this time, EA is actually fighting for licenses with a lot of other companies. Mm-hmm. You know, you think uh, in the, the sports franchise games, you have 2K and Midway at the time as well fighting with them for... Uh, uh, for like you know, kind of a, a slot in that uh, in that world, and then racing as well. It was Burnout fighting with them, and then right. Burnout eventually was bought by EA to basically just be killed off. Yeah, and that's really what uh, started EA as like the villain of the gaming industry mm-hmm. is buying things to just stop them from being competition. Right. It seems like that there's always a company in a generation that is like that. Like Nintendo was considered that company actually in the 80s yeah. and 90s. They were buying out, not so much buying out competition, but they were they were making it very uh, difficult for companies to develop games on the NES. Uh, cartridges were hard to uh, to acquire. They would, you know, there'd be like a monopoly on cart uh, production. And then, yeah, EA in uh, in this generation, or at least the seventh generation, they were starting to be like that. And now we're talking about Microsoft buying buying up everything. They just bought Activision. They're buying blizzard and and everything so mm-hmm. it's funny how there's always there's always a big bigger fish in the uh, in the market that's buying up buying up everything but uh need for speed was also converted into uh, like an online service more than anything in the uh in the xbox 360 generation uh specifically need for speed carbon undercover shift and shift 2 unleashed and the run uh as of last year may of 2021 the games are no longer available to purchase on any of their online stores the servers were also shut down in august of 2021 so any of these online center need for speed games are incomplete or difficult to play uh if you wanted to pick them up now if you wanted to go online at least um which is why we love to talk about uh, gamecube games because <laughs> ea put these games out back in the 2000s and if you pick them up today they're the exact same uh experience that you would have gotten back in the day that's right. That's why I, I do love that that aspect of it for GameCube games. But yeah. I think it's time to roll into the episode proper, Neil, and we're going to bring on a couple of guests to help us out with uh, Need for Speed. But before we do, let's let's just go over the stats of Need for Speed and all these games. Sure thing, Mike. So first we have Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2, which was released on September 30th, 2002, developed by EA Canada. The good one is developed by Black Box Studio. Published by EA Games, it's also on PS2, Xbox, and Windows. Rates a 7 out of 10. Price today at around $15. The cover, we have the Lamborghini... Oh, God. The Lamborghini Murcielago. Don't laugh at me. (laughs) Then we had Need for Speed Underground, which was released on November 17, 2003. Developed by EA Black Box. Published by EA Games. This game is also on PS2, Xbox, Windows, Game Boy Advance, and the Arcade. Rates around 8 out of 10. Price today at around $25. This is the... The cover art features the same car, the Lamborghini, merch or something. And then we had Need for Speed Underground 2, which was released on November 15th, 2004, developed by EA Black Box. Uh, It's published by EA Games. It's also on Windows, Game Boy Advance, PS2, Xbox, PSP, and DS. Rates 8, 8 out of 10. Price today at around $25. This game features the Nissan 350Z on the front of the cover. And Mike, this is our 400th game. So Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. This is the 400th game. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so so crisp and clear. It's like, he's, it's like he's in the room with us. That's right. And then we have Need for Speed Most Wanted, which was released on December 14th, 2005, developed by EA Canada and Black Box Studios, published by EA Games. It's also on DS, Game Boy Advance, Windows, PS2, PSP, Xbox, Xbox 360. Rates an 8 out of 10, priced today at around $30, and the cover art is the BMW M3 GTR E46. Of course, who could forget? 
And that's all the games that we're going to be talking about today with uh, with our guests calling in. So, Mike, who's joining us today? Joining us today are Victor, who we just heard there, and friend of the show, Marty, as well. Two friends of the show on to talk about all these Need for Speed games. And, boys, before we get into it, I want to ask, what is your favorite Need for Speed game of all time? Oh, boy. I mean, it's, it's kind of cliche, but it's got to be Hot Pursuit. That yes. was one of the first racing games I ever played, and that just set the standard in my mind. Yeah, it's... It's hot, hot pursuit for me as well. Just playing on that on the PC, it was so rad. There were so many different levels. Like it was definitely seemed like the most like complex, at least racing game you'd ever played to that point. It rocked. Was that the original Hot Pursuit or Hot Pursuit Two? I think I played both. Cause yeah, the, the original Hot Pursuit was Need for Speed Three Hot Pursuit. That was in nineteen ninety eight. Mm, yeah, that would be the one that I played for sure. But that nice. was not on GameCube. Nope. And the GameCube games, of course, are the four that we mentioned here. We also, we're also going to talk about Carbon, but that's later in the day with friend of the show, Brian, who will be coming on to talk about that. But um, yeah, just want to talk to you guys about this series in general. You know, what, uh, I mean, Hot Pursuit definitely, I guess, got you into it, Marty. Uh, Victor, what what was the first memory you have about this uh, this franchise? Well, I think at this point in my life, I was still playing a lot of just crummy online racing games and whatever was available i mean would it have been flash at the time i assume it would have been flash and the quality was always just terrible and and super glitchy and this was the first game i played where all of a sudden everything seemed to click and it was like you just get that feeling when you're a kid that the the world is your oyster and that anything is possible because you're like I can choose from all these cars. I can customize everything. I can drive anywhere that I want. And it just felt like one of those games that you'd go play at a friend's house and all you could think about was trying to get your hands on a copy and all you wanted to do was play it. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah, definitely the same thing. I mean, uh, I wasn't going to addictinggames.com like like Victor was every day <laughs> looking for the, the the new fresher, like newgrounds.org or whatever that was, the website was. I, w- I wasn't doing that for video games, but at the same time, yeah, Victor's bang on with like, there's just something about it. I mean, driving is obviously so ubiquitous in like our sort of like world where, yeah, when you're exp- when you're exposed to something that that's like that much fun to do and it's something you can kind of relate to and you're like you like cars because they're so cool and stuff like that all that all really (laughs) didn't make sense and clicked in a weird way plus like the games are obviously all very cool i know we're going to talk about like the like the actual like hot pursuit and like most wanted and the ones where there's actually like cops chasing you but that before gta that was like a real thing that i remember being like this is fun Mm -hmm. to to annoy the police in a video game (laughs) And it being so disappointing when you finally do get to learn how to drive and you realize that you can't afford any of these cars in real life and you can't do any of these things in real life. It really is the ultimate fantasy of being being a driver when you're 12 years old. Um, being a millennial. Yeah, being a millennial. Can you afford a car? No. Can you break the rules? No. So yeah, it's just a nice little fantasy game that uh, I think we need to go back to. But it's funny that you mentioned GTA. I think that a lot of these racing games just got overshadowed by GTA Five because I, I talk to fans of racing games today, and a lot of them say that the the racing in Grand Theft Auto is like enough for them, and it's just another mm. like another genre of games that just got snuffed out by by GTA Five. Like like you yep. can't make a game that's just based on racing anymore. I mean, they do come out. You still get Forzas and Gran Turismos coming out, but like if if there's no giant open world and a big campaign and and other things to do it just feels like that you're kind of wasting your money on a 90 dollars game if you're in canada to just have this one racing game 
So just to just to keep this conversation track going, because I probably forget about it. Uh, I picked, I played uh, Most Wanted uh, today actually to try to get like reacquainted with it. And obviously, it's it's predominantly racing, but there is an open world element. I think Underground Two is open world as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's the open world element. And you're like, oh yeah, right, because I would usually just like fart around and try to drive as fast <laughs> as possible, and then the cops like catch on to you. But it was super interesting in that um you could find your own rap sheet so you like literally you'd <laughs> click the button it would send you another screen you go to like this like dos computer and like tr- hack into the police back end essentially <laughs> and then you pull up like for one all the damage you've ever cost the police and like <laughs> and, like in like in a, in a dollar amount it, it racks up actually and this is something that was really interesting i thought gta could have done something for this it re- gave you like your your top five pursuits of all time you're like here's how long it cool. lasted Here's how many, uh, I mean, there were no pedestrians. No one died, thankfully. Thankfully, no one died in the game. But they're like, here's like, here's how much money it costs, like the police, then like private property and stuff, which was like, yeah, because at, at the time, totally in like 2005, that's what I would have got a kick out of. And then you're like, oh, you play San Andreas once. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, never mind. Huh? So I'll just play this. That's really funny. I, I love Most Wanted. I didn't know that was a thing. I played it on PSP, and I don't know if that was mm. even even a mode or if that was like a thing that you could find was your rap sheet. I just raced around. I love just just being chased by the cops was such a cool thing and, and like being blown away by just like having a rear view mirror in a game. Like that was enough for me to like mm-hmm. warrant a purchase. It was just, oh my God, I can see what's going on behind me. This is so cool. But yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a fun game. Fun fact about Most Wanted, that game was rebooted uh, by Criterion Games back in 2012. Its highest rating is on the Wii U, which is really weird. <laughs> I saw that, and I thought about you, Neil. I, I thought Thanks. about you. <laughs> <laughs> still have it. Still have it, baby. But yeah, I, I kind of want to pick that up now. The uh, Need for Speed Most Wanted on Wii, it can't be that expensive. I would assume it would be pretty cheap. But uh, yeah, I, I want to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about all of these, but Hot Pursuit 2. So... Did you guys ever try and be a cop in Hot Pursuit 2? Oh, all the time. Okay, okay. Yeah, because so I only remember not being a cop. I remember just trying to get away from people. But uh, playing it again, I realized that it's actually pretty easy uh, when you're a cop. You don't even really need to call in the helicopters, although you want to because it's fun. (laughs) And the roadblocks and everything like that. But uh, I was like, oh, wow, this is uh, I didn't realize this whole other part of the game really existed. That's literally like a modding community of GTA Five now. Is like people going around and role playing as cops. Yeah, <laughs> like there's like a, I'm not joking. I know, there's like yeah. entire like communities around that, which is just super funny now. There's even I there's even like I people who played that game mode at all. See, yeah, mm-hmm. see, Victor's with me. <laughs> well, you didn't respect our law enforcement, Victor. <laughs> Look, everyone knows what side I come down on when it comes to the cops. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about these Need for Speed games from back in the day is just that like there's so many different modes that it's completely possible to talk to somebody who played the same game as you and they completely missed a certain mode yeah. because like they were just too busy being the cop or playing the campaign or whatever. Like I found like a mode in in uh, Hot Pursuit 2 called Lap Knockout which eliminates the last racer of each lap until one player is remaining. I love that in a in a racing game. I would I would love something like that to come back like in in a Mario Kart. I think that'd be really cool like a battle royale almost. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting point cuz I think a lot of people nowadays don't look for those niches in games to play anymore. Like you saw it a little bit with first person shooters like Modern Warfare where you would have the ability to do the Nazi zombies that everyone got super into and other similar game modes. But it was really fun when you were playing offline sort of before that became the predominant form of gaming because you could just find some tiny little game within the game and end up 
playing exclusively that. It's true. Yeah, it's like Mike and I with Nightfire. We've probably played a thousand missions of Capture the Flag. Like just that—that's like our multiplayer mode to go to. Is we each it's seven flags, Mike and I against six AI bots or whatever it is, and we just play that for hours. That's all we've done, and that's enough for us to warrant spending probably a hundred dollars on Nightfire if we had to buy it again. <laughs> um, it, it's it's huge, and like when when games release half broken and like half finished these days, it's sad because like people will give up on a game without finding that niche part of the game that they love. And for context for people that haven't played these games, like most wanted, again, picking it up today, um, I was reminded of, and if anyone, if Neil, maybe you recall this, if they had this in PSP, but they had the drag racing sort of game mode. And it was literally just presented to you as like, you know, you have, here's your circuit, here's like your, your like whole map race or whatever. And then it was just one of those. And when yeah. you click into it, it was like, it was, it prompted you like a drag race. Like it told you when, to, like you couldn't play it automatic. Obviously you had to play. Uh, you had to play stick shift and it was like super interesting just because you come into the race and it's like similar enough it felt kind of the same but it was also just a little bit different and yeah you're bang on that was just a game mode that i could clearly just see like people just playing over and over and over yep. again trying to get the best uh, the best time yeah i can't remember what mode i played on my psp now i just remember having like a mazda 3 forever and never having <laughs> enough money to upgrade to a new car so i was like man this game that has like you know hundred thousand like six figure cars i never got up to that because i was just i was just upgrading my mazda 3 with new tires and painting it different <laughs> colors and stuff i was so stupid i clearly don't know much about cars which is which is fine i i had fun with it nonetheless you never even unlocked the camry eh <laughs> no way did not not did not come anywhere close to that but so fast. I'm sure it was. <laughs> Probably would have broken my PSP if I unlocked it. Now, of course, uh, Hot Pursuit 2 was the first Need for Speed game that had a soundtrack. And we can't talk about Need for Speed without talking about the soundtracks. It had Bush. It had Bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack for Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 was the first, like Mike said, featuring uh, actual songs. There's eight actual songs. There's seven instrumental songs featuring bands like Hot Action Cop, Bush, Rush, and the Humble Brothers. So, uh, Marty, Victor, what, what did you guys think of the soundtrack for, for Hot Pursuit 2? I can't say that I even had the so- soundtrack up for some reason. Maybe my <laughs> maybe my older cousin wouldn't let me listen to it. Maybe it was too... Maybe it was too... Um, too explicit oh i see exhibits on here too i i swear exhibit is everywhere yeah yeah that's cool wow <laughs> yeah i need to look this up because i'm i remember the music being a pretty integral part of my experience of the game but for the life of me i can't remember what was on the soundtrack you couldn't necessarily just listen to music on demand quite as easily on I mean, would that have been LimeWire or would that have been Kazaa era? I need I need to know for, <laughs> mm, for reference. LimeWire, I guess. Well, you could have you could have gone like and looked stuff up in LimeWire, but I mean like in this some of the, the best ones on here, best ones in quotes. We got Uncle <laughs> Cracker keeping it coming. We got Bush, the people that we love. We got Rush, One Little Victory, Humble Brothers, Black Hole. So we had some interesting ones i don't really remember it either but i you made a good point there where need for speed is so much tied to the soundtracks and that's very much an ea way of thinking and this is why ea or one of the big reasons why ea dominated the fields of sport and racing at this point because they understood how to properly use soundtracks Mm -hmm. uh, as a means to get people to continue to play these annualized franchises you know almost it's like I know, Marty, you talked about this way back on the hockey episode that we had uh, of how EA worked really hard to make sure that these were basically like curated playlists for you every year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it felt that way. 
and how much we tie like a single song. Like I tie Limp Biscuits rolling to NHL hits 2002. <laughs> like the, the opening track of a video game from the e, this EA era is so iconic. Like they were they were the masters at like just hearing that EA games and then some rock music kicking this kicking the game in. Like you know it's going to be a high octane game. And uh, throw your it, hands up, ready? Throw your hands up, <laughs> ladies and throw gentlemen. Your hands up. <laughs> so so good. Yeah. So playing Hot Pursuit two the other day, I found as a player, like just as an, as someone trying to get away from the cops, I found it really fun, but quite hard. Like I didn't realize how difficult Hot Pursuit was at the time. Maybe just as a kid, I didn't care, and I just was there for the soundtrack. <laughs> Did you kind of find this as well, Victor? Well, I mean, without getting into any kind of social commentary, I do remember very, <laughs> okay. very distinctly that feeling of anxiety of like you see your wanted meter going yes. up you see the cop car edging up closer behind you and it's a game and you're not obviously concerned about any kind of repercussions but still that feeling of coming around the corner in the track and then just like watching that turn on the little hud map to see if the yeah. cop car was going to follow you through the turn or whether you'd lose mm. them that was like one of the most stressful parts of that game to me and it was also what made it fun like it felt high stakes it felt like you were in a chase mm -hmm. that's exactly it and like the music also contributes to that like the they had specific music for pursuits as well which was a pretty new thing at the time yeah i i have the same feeling i always felt like i was like the, the, the stakes were high the stakes were high <laughs> 12 year old mike could have gone to jail and they, they even let you, I believe it's in, I believe it was Hot Pursuit 2 that introduced this, but they even let you customize your car to make it look like a cop car too. So you don't necessarily have to drive around in the standard cop vehicle. You can, you can drive around in a Lamborghini that looks like a cop car too, which is really <laughs> neat. Like I, I can't imagine, that'd be awesome if you could do that in real life too. That's just another one of those millennial dreams that we'll never get to have. <laughs> and obviously the, the, the local multiplayer is really what Sean, for me at least as a kid for Hot Pursuit 2, just, you know, playing with friends. And Most Wanted was also good for that. It did have online multiplayer, obviously not for GameCube. I also wanted to just mention Most Wanted sold 16 million copies, which that's nuts. at yeah. the time, like that 16 million copies for games at the time was insane. Because that would have came, that would have came after Underground, yep. right? It was Underground and then it was that. Yeah, Need for Need for Speed Underground, yeah. then Underground 2, and then Most Wanted completely separated from Underground. It came out uh, to very 2005. high. 2005, exactly. Very high acclaim, especially. Uh, one, of, one of the best facts for me about Most Wanted is uh, in Belgium, uh, they had a promotion going on where if you faxed a proof of a speeding ticket to like a, an office of some kind or whatever, you were eligible for a free game. <laughs> Yo, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. If you had a speeding ticket on November 24th, the day before the game came out, November 25th, now you weren't eligible if your speed was more than 6% over the limit. So they didn't want people like doing 100 kilometers an hour over the limit just to get a free <laughs> copy of Need for Speed. But they gave people free games if they could prove that they got a speeding ticket the day before the game came out, which is nuts. <laughs> Okay, hold on. So, 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 but they announced it after the game was out. Like they didn't say, "Hey, everyone, you might want to go get a speeding ticket this day." I don't. I didn't get enough details there. I would like to think it was. I hope that they didn't say like for everyone on November twenty. Like they're saying this on the twentieth. Like everybody getting right. ready to get their speeding ticket, and also the ticket would probably be worth more than the game. So you're really not. It would be worth more than the game. That's the thing. Like, like, like if the speeding ticket is more than the game is worth, that it's not worth your time. But still, like I can't imagine that being allowed like imagine something like that today like that would not go over at all that's just incentivizing all the wrong <laughs> kinds of behavior hey i want to call back to what mike was saying about the multiplayer aspect mm -hmm. of this game because yeah. frankly i 
had no friends when I was a kid, <laughs> or at least none that I was playing video games with at the time. And the the replayability factor for Hot Pursuit 2 is mm-hmm. crazy. You can play that game by yourself all day. You can play it over and over again. The customization of the cars. It was a game that just kept you coming back in, in, in an era that sort of predated the the online gaming. I think that was a little bit harder to do in a way. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And the fact that you found replayability with it without knowing that you could play as a cop is pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> you only played half the game. I mean, you're right though. Like it was, it was. All these games, honestly, are really good replayability. The it does get old a bit now, but I think as a kid today, it would be quite difficult. I think to play these Need for Speed games. Because there is just so much variation. There's just so many racing games out there. There's so much stuff to do. And like Neil said, GTA exists. And that's the big one, right? Because Need for Speed felt like a mini GTA. It felt like a GTA that your parents could buy you and feel okay about it. Yeah, like GTA with the training wheels on almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a time and place too. Like in the early 2000s, the the Korean like off what they call like the import scene from Japanese made cars and tuner cars and everything like Fast and Furious was huge. Like it's just it was just a time for kind of like skateboarding games, too. It was the same thing. Like it's hard to capture that aggressive inline like that lightning in a bottle era that we were in. I don't think it, it has held up quite as much anymore to have just these standalone games that are full priced and there's nothing else but the racing, unfortunately. But I did like in Most Wanted, you might have noticed this, too, uh, is Rockport because so all the cities in Need for Speed yeah. games aren't real cities. It's like it's like GTA in that way, but mm-hmm. they're always based off of stuff. I like that Rockport was like a Pacific Northwest style. You know, it was mm-hmm. like a Seattle or Portland, uh, and I I remember thinking like, oh, this is really cool because everything I knew at that time was always like an LA or New York City. Mm. Yeah, let's we we need to bring a GTA game to El Paso, Texas. <laughs> we need to bring a GTA game to Des Moines or Louisville. <laughs> Come on, let's do this. Hey, I would love to see a racing game for like Montana or something where just, you know, <laughs> there's uh, no turns. There's literally no <laughs> turns. You just jump <laughs> Were any how many of Need for Speed games actually took place in real world cities though? Cuz it's kind of strange. I don't think. No, cuz it's kind of strange that there's like all these fictional cities with real world cars. I wonder if that's why like the the car manufacturers didn't want their their Nissans to be smashed around in New York City. Like I wonder if that has something to do with it that they had to make I it can fictional, tell you the reason. Or? Okay. Uh, it's it's because it's much cheaper and easier to do, right? Because oh, okay. if you're trying to make a if you're trying to create a, a city that everyone knows, like an LA or New York, in a game, it's really difficult to create something that's open world, you know, quote unquote, uh, for driving because everyone's just gonna be like, well, that's not where that road is, or like okay. that's not where the gardener is, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's uh, it's very it's much easier for devs to just you know use a almost like a Play-Doh city. You know, right. that they can they kind of yeah. just take things from, you know, mold it the way they want. Because if you create a New York City style, like that's exactly New York City, then you're kind of putting yourself into a box. Yeah, cut yeah. to playing like the the like the Barcelona map on Tony Hawk, uh, Tony Hawk Underground. You're like, wait, here are all of the city's main landmarks in about one like square block. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. And the Canada level in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, which is just like basically a snowy parking lot. It's like, yeah, I guess this could be anywhere in Canada. So sweet. There's squirrels. So, I mean, that, that's pretty 
Universal. You're actually in Kamloops right now. This is Kamloops. <laughs> this is where you are right now. When I look back at the at the Need for Speed franchise sort of more broadly, especially compared with today's Forza and, and all the modern racing games, I'm struck by how playable it was. It's very easy to get into. I've, I find even today, if I pick up a Forza game, I'm in the ditch the entire time. Like, I cannot <laughs> keep those cars on the road because I think they've evolved much in part due to the GTA factor, where if you just want to drive around in a car, you have that option. But I think the hyper-realist, the hyper-realistic simulation games are now a lot more popular, whereas back then, you could put a Camry sideways on the highway and still somehow have traction while you're going, you know, like 110 miles per hour. And that's something I really miss about that era of games. You know, we talked about how Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 in the last episode you had us on for it was it was sort of the defining game of of that genre of games mm-hmm. of skateboarding and they were just always trying to trying to recreate the success they had with that and I feel like that's true with the Need for Speed franchise especially if you look at Hot Pursuit 2. Yeah, I think racing games in general have gone the same way that sports games have in the sense that sports games now are basically trying to be hyper-realistic for the most part, mm-hmm. where uh, it's either, you know, you either really have hyper-realism or you have full arcade, you know, almost 90s-style games. Uh, in the early 2000s, in this Hot Pursuit era, uh, and all these Need for Speed games, you had a pretty good mix of arcadiness and realism, just like the sports games did. And that's why those that was also the golden era for those. And so you're absolutely right, Vic. Like, playing these games today, I could easily just get back into them where... When I played on my buddy's PS5 and I was playing Forza, I was the same way. I just was, you know, I didn't know how fast to go. I was just, you know, in a ditch half the time. It, it was, you know, if, you, if you're into cars uh, and you're into that custom world and just driving these exotic cars in a hyper-realistic setting, Gran Turismo and Forza have it down. Like, that's the only place you're going to find that. But it's harder to find that fun arcade world because, I mean, Need for Speed is kind of slowed up a lot with their new games burnout doesn't really exist anymore midnight club is dead so it's you you, we're kind of missing that and it's a little sad today well burnout kind of does exist it's just it's been meshed into need for speed like it was it was underground one i believe it was yeah need for speed underground one that's when they introduced uh using shortcuts uh uh driving close to traffic without hitting anybody speed style points um, colliding with traffic to earn extra points. Like it's, it's all mechanics that were in burnout. So they've kind of become one in the same, which is fine, I guess. But like, it's, it's too bad. Like you said, that there's not too, more of an arcadey presence in, in racing, but going back over the years in racing games, I did want to get, uh, Marty and Victor's opinion on this is just the genre of, of racing games in general. Like if you go back to the seventies and the eighties, like up until now, there's easily thousands of different racing games out there. Uh, but how come none of these games are ever in the running for game of the year talk. Like if you look back on the highest rated PS2 games, the seventh spot was Gran Turismo 3. Mm. Uh, And if I go back in the more notable video game awards over the last 30 plus years, there's uh, almost no racing games ever even in the running or they didn't win at all. Like there's no racing games at all. The only one was the Golden Joystick Awards uh, in 1987. (laughs) It was the game Outrun, one game of the year that year. Mm. Cruising USA has never won. No, <laughs> that's a shame. Surprisingly, yeah. not. But I just wanted to know, like, why is it that every every year the game awards come around and there's always three or four games in the running and never a racing game? Probably just because 
I mean, it seems like, and, and now I'm not sure we can have an open conversation and we've already talked about it, but like what the like racing game market is right now with like Forza and all this stuff. But like, it does kind of seem at least like niche in a sense where it can only go so far. Because if you do go on to GTA 5 and you hop into like the dumb racing courses, like they can be extremely fun, right? You're like, you're doing like, these weird courses in the sky, like all of that's already sort of laid out to you. And like, if you want anything deeper than that, that's just going to be continuing. And like, to be fair, when I play GTA, like those, there's always races going on. There's tons of people that play that. Yeah. And if you get, if you want to get any deeper than that, you're just going to get more niche. You're going to get the harder to play games with uh, like customizable spoilers, like 14,000 customi- <laughs> customizable spoilers for your like uh, Lamborghini, right? Yeah. That just seems like that was always going to sort of slowly whittle that down into in a very small group of people. Marty's talking about how racing in general is sort of a niche and I think that's excluding a lot of people who would probably be considered when it comes to um the the best games of the year and and recognizing those. But I also think that when it comes to racing games like you were saying Neil with the history tracing back to the 70s It's almost the subtleties of these games that really differentiate them from each other. And it's hard to identify, you know, more than a couple over the years. And it's a lot easier with the benefit of hindsight to recognize the game changers like Burnout and and Hot Pursuit 2. Because at the time, I think people saw them as what racing should be in, in games. And they were sort of just fixing the flaws in previous versions. But because they were for the most part, just iterations on iterations, I, I think yeah. maybe a lot of them failed to get the recognition that they deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. It's And I mean, Need for Speed even here just is like the same thing. It's iterations on iterations and I'm going to bring it up again. It's like sports games. It's the same idea yeah. where like NHL 2004, one of the best sports games in my opinion ever made. <laughs> but you know, this is not winning. It's not winning best game of the year ever. And it, you can you can think of that for any any award thing, right? Like even movies, you know, like uh, Avengers movies aren't going to win Best Picture. True. Yeah, it's not. It's not based mm-hmm. on sales. Otherwise, clearly, like Underground between Underground one and two, twenty six million units is far from a niche market. I would say, like mm-hmm. it, these games mm-hmm. obviously had some uh, some legs to like so, like a long tail to them. People played them for years. They were praised. Car games are almost always praised for their graphical uh, capabilities. Like it's almost always the showcase for what a console can do if it can yep. render rain effects and lighting on cars and glass and speed. Like it's it's always the technical marvel of a console. It seems like I just find it really interesting that they're never even in the running for game of the year. It seems it's too bad, but I mean, like you guys said, the game of the year doesn't is not the be all end all for for a game success. You know, I actually have a question for you and Mike here. What Ooh, is okay. it about Canada or EA Games? Like why were why was this Canadian tech company in the 90s and 2000s coming out with all these smash hits? That's a that's a great question. I, I know Vancouver specifically, Blackbox was based in Burnaby, uh, Vancouver, uh, around there, that area. EA Canada is all Vancouver at the time. Obviously, EA ended up going to a lot of other places uh, around the world, but uh, Vancouver was definitely where the bread and butter was. I don't know (laughs) why specifically it's vancouver um i know vancouver has always had a a a rich history with uh with like the tech industry a lot of that coming from silicon valley uh honestly a big reason too it's cheaper to hire Mm. canadian uh talent to to work on a lot of these games you'll often have 
the soundtrack composer, the voiceover people, you know, think of John McComb, who was on for the NHL episode. Yeah. Uh, we love John. He, uh, you know, was a voiceover talent here in, in Vancouver. And and again, it's cheaper for, for an American company to basically hire Canadian employees to work, uh, contract employees to work on these games. The, the guy who did the soundtrack to basically all the Need for Speed games, uh, he is Canadian as well. So it just... It, I think money would be the number one reason why EA was successful in terms of using Vancouver a lot for it. But EA just in general was successful because of how they approached the market. They approached it as attempting to basically try to make a monopoly out of these games and buying people out. And they got successful until they weren't in a way because they went too far. They're also they're also one of EA's oldest studios. I think they might be the oldest EA location now. Uh, mm-hmm. Founded in 1983, so been around for a long time. They currently employ 1,300 people. I think that's got something to do with it. There's a long history to to this particular studio. Neil's recruiting for EA. I'm looking at it right now. I think I might need to relocate. This sounds awesome. Also, they're, <laughs> they're, they're going down this rabbit hole. I also <laughs> want to mention that they are expanding their Burnaby campus. They're basically doubling its size and they're trying to bring in about 600 new employees there. So clearly wow. whatever they've been doing over the years is still working. Yeah, it just seems like that they've had time to to sort of curate a really good place to work. I'm sure that it has its issues like every other game studio does, but I think just the history behind it, it's now 31 years old or more than 30 years old at this point. So Good question, Vic. Yeah. I literally <laughs> just can't drive by that building without audibly in the car going, EA Sports, the <laughs> game. <laughs> there, is, there is no way to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, boys, uh, thank you very much for coming on today, talking about Need for Speed. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to say about this franchise? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think so. I just think it's uh, it's it does certainly sit in a in a in a special part of time. I know a lot of these games. I mean, this is a game about the GameCube, or this is a podcast about the GameCube. So obviously, you can say that about all these games. But yeah, it really does sit in a special sort of frame of mind, especially the multiplayer. Like this was in rotation with Tony Hawk. When you go over to someone's place, you play Tony Hawk. You play a bit of like Underground Two, uh, and then you. Uh, yeah, maybe play some GTA. It just sits in a special spot. I loved them. I loved them. <laughs> Victor. I I think everyone was chasing what they what they got right. I think yeah. every racing game in subsequent years for you know a, an extremely long period of time was really trying to capture a lot of the things that they got right, whether whether by accident or by design. But like I said before, just it kept you coming back and that's so difficult to do in a racing game when they're so repetitive but just to have the incentives baked into it even for offline play to to make it just a really enjoyable experience trying it with different cars trying it in different game modes um mm-hmm. absolute game changer absolute game changer thank you both for coming on today talking about these games talking about this franchise and i will see you both very soon i'm very sure yeah We'll see you guys real soon, and uh, remember to hang on to your speeding tickets, because you never know. You could use it to save money on a video game. I'm going to go into EB Games tomorrow with like all the speeding tickets I have. Be like, what can I trade in for this? Just to see can what you imagine say. them doing that today? Like, police departments everywhere would be putting out statements condemning them. <laughs> can we do it for GTA, though? Like, in, like, if I, if I... Shoot a man, get 20% off your game. Yeah, bring in your homicide tickets, and then you'll be able to cash in for one free game. You'll be able to play in jail. (laughs) All right. See you boys later. Take care. Yeah, see you tonight. Bye. Bye. What nice young men.
What nice young men. Thank you very much, Victor and Marty, for joining us today to talk about Need for Speed. And, uh, you know, always great to have different people's perspectives on it, the memories. That's what we're here for. We didn't talk too much about Underground 1 and 2. I just wanted to quickly go over them. I know they are different from the rest of the Need for Speed franchise. We, we wanted to do this episode more of like a franchise talk rather than individual games because it gets a little boring when we're just listing off facts about games but uh there are some fun facts underground kind of rebooted the franchise and i remember playing underground a little bit but it was never really my game of choice okay yeah i see i remember seeing underground everywhere but like you said never being my game of choice just because i wasn't into cars like uh, no matter none of these games were ever going to be perfectly for me i don't know why i bought need for speed most wanted on psp that, that was an easier one to get into though i suppose so yeah like I, I just saw the the cop car and the i just wanted to chase have cars chase me around a little bit and <laughs> like like i think it like i said before i think it's just a playstation franchise that like once i had a playstation console the psp being my first playstation console yeah. you kind of just get sucked into these more m-rated games or these more mature games the the need for speeds and the grand theft autos it it just feels weird to have this collection of psp games without having a driving game on it and there were so many on the psp i was like well, I guess I'll pick up this one because it was 15 bucks and I had a gift card. But yeah, I, I never did play any of the underground games. And you're right, they were a reboot. It's funny how many times Need for Speed has been subtly <laughs> or blatantly rebooted in the last uh, yeah. 30 years or so. But yeah, this was the, the first in the series to offer a career mode featuring a full storyline and everything, uh, which is crazy that it took them that long to do something like that. I know, yeah. Like I, I kind of forgot that uh, that Hot Pursuit didn't have a career mode, but because mm -hmm. you, because like Victor said, you're doing so many things in there, and there's so many different modes that you didn't necessarily need a career mode. And honestly, like you know, these stories are very ridiculous. They're very Fast and the Furious esque. Yeah, they're fine. I, I actually, when I played this. Uh, again, this week, I was thinking very much Tony Hawk Underground yeah, in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of the, I know, and with Underground, yeah. in terms of the style, uh, style of it and, and everything, uh, the garage mode is where I spent my time okay. because there's just, if you're at all interested in cars, there's just so many things that you can unlock and customize. And I think like garage modes in all these games are what I find really fun. It's like, you know, even in sports games, it's, it's your you're kind of tooling your team before you actually go and play. And if yeah. you're like in GM mode in NHL, for example, you know, you're just always trying to trade things and trade people away and make it, you're the best team you can be. And when you're actually playing, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess this is fun, but now I want to go back to the GM mode. <laughs> I, I find this a lot with uh, Need for Speed, especially the Underground series. I, I always want to just tinker with my car all the time, especially in the that garage mode. It's funny. Yeah, the garage, garage mode is big in racing games, and I'm glad that they finally are starting to do it with Mario Kart. Like, you can finally pick your own wheels and your own cart and whatnot. Like, yeah. I actually did this a lot in the pod racing Star Wars game on N64. You, there is, like, a bit of a garage area where you can... To, uh, you can tinker away with your pod racer before you go out. You can change some of the engines or like little gears and bits and bobs of your cart if you want to before you go into the race. So, uh, Neil, that's a great segue because the visual effects team from Star Wars for The Phantom Menace who did the pod racing scenes actually did the visual effects for Need for Speed Underground. Wow. No way. That, that's crazy. I didn't know that. So, dude, 
pod racing the Star Wars game needs to come back. Like it is so cool. Pod racing just in general needs to come. Pod back. racing in general needs to come back from the movie, from the first movie, and video games especially. Like I would love a 2022 version of that game because there's so much you could do with customizable pods. You can have new characters, go to different environments. I think that would be so cool. Yeah. I love that that some of the workers on that game got to go and work on some Need for Speed games. I'm sure that they love to do. So the, the effects artist, it wasn't just for the game. It wasn't for the pod racing game. It was for the movie. It was for oh. the Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was the actual vfx artists like these movie hollywood movie artists who uh ea hired to work on uh the visual effects for underground and underground 2 and nice when you watch these cutscenes and when you're actually playing the game it shows it honestly shows mm, that, that's really cool i i love that um i'm, I'm sorry that they that's my fun fact that, for the day that's a very fun fact mike <laughs> i love that uh we got a lot more fun facts to go but before we do move on to the last couple of need for speed games I do want to talk about the soundtracks for Underground and Underground 2. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack for Underground, pretty big. Uh, 26 licensed songs ranging from hip-hop, rock, EDM, drum and bass. We had T.I., Rancid, Rob Zombie, Story of the Year, and Lost Prophets. Do you know anything about the Lost Prophets? I don't, actually. Okay. Can you tell me something? Well, yeah, it's not good It's not good news. The only thing, the only reason why I know of this song and why this game might, if they do release it, I don't know if they could do it with this soundtrack because of that band, is that... That band is basically done. The lead singer was charged and arrested for having sexual relations with children and babies. Wow. Messed up stuff. What the hell? Oh my God. Messed messed up stuff. Like, not good. Like, this, that band is over for obvious reasons. So, like, this soundtrack does not hold up for that very reason. I'm sure that they can just cut it out, but not a good band to be associated with. But, uh, yeah. Sorry to put a damper on that there, but no uh, kidding. I, think, I think it's time to move to the last Need for Speed game. Need for Speed Carbon, but before we do, we have a guest joining us for it, Neil. Ooh, who's joining us today, Mike? Our friend of the show, Brian, is joining us on the podcast today to talk about Need for Speed Carbon. And Brian, before we get started, I want to ask you, what was your go-to car in this game? I remember in the beginning, like, because like there, a lot of the cars in in that game were like essentially tuner cars and like muscle cars and stuff like that. That I mean, that game inspired me with uh, comes with like a lot of uh, Fast and Furious, like. Like Tokyo Drift kind of style kind of stuff. So I, I kind of like the associate cars with that. Like uh, even like Mitsubishi. I think they had a Lancer in there. Uh, they had an Audi, Audi R8. That was pretty sweet. I think those were some of the boss vehicles as well. Need for Speed is the most movie tie-in game without being considered a movie tie-in. <laughs> it's impossible not to think of Fast and Furious when you think of Need for Speed. Even though there were Fast and Furious video games, I think most people consider Need for Speed to be that tie-in, which is kind of funny. Uh, don't they straight up play a Need for Speed game in one of the <laughs> Fast and Furious movies? Am I imagining that? I mean, I can believe it. <laughs> I, I thought they had like a PlayStation in the back of one of their cars in Need for Speed 2 or in Fast and Furious 2, but I could be wrong. But for the uninitiated, Need for Speed Carbon was released on October 30th, 2006. This is a Neil's birthday game. I was 13 on that day. <laughs> Developed by EA Canada, published by EA Games. This game is also on, get ready for it, Windows, Mac OS X, PS2, PS3, Xbox, Xbox 360, Wii, Game Boy Advance, DS, PSP, Mobile, Zebo, and eventually the arcade. It rates a 7.5 out of 10, priced today at around $20, and of course, it's a racing game, sold 3.2 million units in the US. So, not a bad outing for Need for Speed Carbon. Okay, Neil, what the hell is a Zebo? First of all, let's uh, Brian, do you know what a Zebo is? That's a really obscure console that actually I just looked up recently. Uh, but I can't, I, I, I've never heard of it like previously, uh, 
Especially when we were like in what this game came out in like 06 or 05 or something like that. Like yep. there's no way you would ever hear about a Zebo. <laughs> yeah, 06. And I'm not quite sure. I'm looking it up right now. I think we talked about the Zebo before. I don't know when or where. Let's see. Where was this thing released? Was it North <laughs> Is this a su- successor to the Zune? <laughs> uh, no. So this is a Brazilian and a Mexican console. It was uh, discontinued back in 2011. It had a two-year lifespan. So just when you thought the Wii U was bad, the Zebo comes out to try and top it off. <laughs> Uh, but on the on the front of Need for Speed Carbon, uh, the cover features the Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution Nine and a Dodge Challenger drifting through a corner. I'm gonna try. I'm trying to name all of the cars uh, for this episode because I'm terrible at naming athletes. Uh, so far, cars not too bad. I thought you were gonna guess what the cars were. I was like, that's even more impressive. Oh, good God, no! I, <laughs> dude, everything everything is a uh, is a Ford Taurus wagon or a Scooby Doo Mystery Machine. That's all I know. But Brian, uh, another question for you is for need for speed in general is this the first need for speed game that you had played no i I played underground uh before i think i played a little bit of most wanted uh there's like a porsche game that i remember as well Mm -hmm. uh being somewhere littered around uh, in between uh so the answer is no but like yeah i i think for me it was underground 2 and carbon i spent a lot of time playing uh maybe even more with carbon i think i played like multiple campaigns because when you're, cool. I don't know, I guess we were 13, like, you just, you kind of just played whatever and it was okay. Nowadays, <laughs> if I were playing Need for Speed for that long, I, I, I don't, I think I might get flamed, so. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. Did you play this game on GameCube or were you a PlayStation 2 uh, or one of the other many consoles? What, what console did you play this game on? Other than the Zubo. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I, so, uh, I, I looked up the cover art. I actually had a pc version collector's edition version of this game um i do not know what the collection edition the collector's edition entailed but i actually bought the more i think i bought it like future shop when that existed yes uh so yeah but like you know we had a time where you had pc pc dvd boxes and you would just go through and install it i think it only had one disc but uh uh yeah like back then you would have games where like multiple cd discs. so this is a dvd i think you only had to install with one disc but um but yeah I, I i played a lot on it i think the collector's edition is like just one car overlooking a canyon so yeah i'd like to i like the cover of the collector's edition and just so to let you know and listeners know uh collector's edition featured four exclusive cars 10 pre-tuned cars six new races three unique challenge events 10 unique vinyls and a bonus dvd showing the making of making of carbon and showcasing all the cars used in the game which i'm clearly you watched that dvd <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I don't, I I don't I've actually seen some of the footage where like just the actors on green screen and everything like that. Um, oh no, the acting is quite something. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh yeah, it's legendary, legendary in the uh, Need for Speed games. It's weird that they kind of switch between like this kind of live action comic book looking cutscenes, and then some games would just be cutscenes that were just kind of stills, like pictures with stills, and they'd have the voice acting over it. It's very stiff. Uh, love that stuff. I would love to check out that DVD. Do you still have it? I might have it somewhere, like, because I, I, cause it's, like, somewhere, like, like I still have, like, the old, like, Battlefront games on, like, nice. CDs and, like, DVDs and stuff. I'm sure they're all in a pile somewhere. I, I would have to find it, but I'm pretty sure I'd own the collector's edition of that game. I mean, you would never get rid of it. Come on. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be, like, see ya. Like, because, like, especially now, like, now we don't even have, you know, CD drives, but... Right. Uh, I still have one actually, so I could I could technically install the the CD version. I know you can't get it on Origin or or Steam. This game, like, they're really unless you like plan on like you know searching the deep dark web, it's it's almost impossible unless you have the the actual disc or you buy it off eBay or something at this point. 
Yeah, uh, in May 2021, EA announced that download versions of the game would no longer be available for purchase in any online stores, and all online uh, play got shut down in September 2021, like Neil mentioned earlier. And a non-download boxed EA DVD versions of the game can still be purchased from some online stores, basically until a supply runs out. (laughs) (laughs) That game is far out of print by by a mile. Uh, That's too bad. I I really get discouraged when companies like that, uh, like Activision and EA, cut out their uh, their online services. Nintendo the, cut the games from their stores and Nintendo of course uh, Nintendo shutting down the entire eShop not just the individual <laughs> games on there but Need for Speed Carbon featured a lot of the uh the past modes and uh missions from previous games you had police pursuits drift challenges radar races which were new um it also introduced Togue Racing, which is like a Japanese term for passing. Uh, it refers to a mountain pass uh, down a narrow winding road, uh, can be found in the mountains of Japan and other geographically similar areas. So was this a mode that you played a lot, Brian, in this game, or did you mainly just stick to the the main storyline and the police pursuits? Yeah, I, I think in English it's called Canyon Pursuit. Yeah. Uh, but basically, there... It's not like you're not technically like racing to see who's in first place for those kind of game of uh, mm-hmm. that game mode. It's uh, I believe like one car has to like driving. You're supposed to shadow the car until the the you get to the bottom of the canyon, and then you get points based on how close uh how close you are to that car. Uh, you actually don't get much for overtaking the car. Uh, in fact, there's actually I believe there's a warning where like okay like you have to shad you have to continue shadowing it. And then the reverse happens. So once you once you're done shadowing, you are the car that's being pursued now, and you're basically trying to gain as much distance in between you and your opponent. Uh, that game mode is uh, is actually quite fun, especially because uh, when you're doing some of the turns, you can actually fall off the canyon and just die. Uh, well, you don't <laughs> die. Like they you don't they don't yeah. say you died or anything, but like you have to restart the entire uh, two way uh, like the ent- entire thing from the from the beginning. So you have to do the pursuit and then be pursued. Mm-hmm. Again, so uh, uh, you really didn't want to fall off those guardrails, but uh, yeah, you can actually like you can even just like brush it with the back of your car as you're as you're doing a drift, and you can actually like knock all the the guardrails off too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I do. I remember doing that as well. The how I played this game, I'm not sure if you played it like the same way or if you had online for this, but I I this was one of the first games I ever played online against other people. Uh, I think this and the the reboot of Goldeneye were like the the, the two that I would play um, for on the Wii uh, on online. That was a lot of fun because I think that's where Need for Speed, in my mind, really lives. They they tried a lot of interesting things that I, I guess they like took some stuff from previous games and just added to it. Uh, the drift mode is by far the worst <laughs> mode that I've played in that game. Where most importantly, it wasn't the fact that the drifting sucked. It was just the fact that you, you played against three other guys and you, you had to build up a score based on your drift around this like track. Yeah. Which is fine, except you could probably like get enough points to win against your competitors after about 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, the, because the AI scores are just like just they're just random, but they're like all really low. So you you could you could just do a little bit and and win. Um, the other thing I remember too as a kid while I was playing that mode is that you can kind of cheat it a little bit, where uh, you know instead of drifting the big corners, as long as your car is technically sliding, it will count it as a drift. So all you have to do is continuously slide your car, and you would accumulate enough points. Now you didn't have to min max like my I, I, 
when I was a kid, I was playing. I thought I just thought it was funny, so you can just accumulate as many points as possible. Uh, but you could really just do like maybe not even half the course, and you could you would beat these guys. Uh, so that was like not very interesting of a game mode, uh, coupled with the fact that it's just very repetitive. Like yes. you're doing like you know you're gonna win. You just have to do this this dumb chore uh, so you get whatever reward it is, and uh, you know the fact that like you're basically just playing against yourself for a little bit isn't isn't very fun especially when this whole game is about competition and yeah. it's about like taking out other crew members and gaining territory and like stuff like that uh it, it's just a, it felt like that game mode was just very uninspiring and uh, even when when I was a kid playing it I just I just didn't have fun with it I would actually probably try to avoid them uh, compared to some of the other events that were happening in the game yeah, I feel like Carbon just it didn't expand on really a lot of things that all the other uh, titles had before it. You know, this is now we're at the fifth Need for Speed game on PS2 and GameCube, and or just any of these consoles in this era. So I would have I would have expected something a little bit more in Carbon. Like, there's nothing wrong with Carbon necessarily, like you're saying, Brian, but it just it, it's it's not doing anything new really it's it's not really building on uh most wanted that had just come out or the underground series which was also fantastic it's just another need for speed game and then you kind of see this with the rest of the need for speed games that come out after it and that's honestly one of the big reasons why they just ended up rebooting the franchises yeah i was gonna say after need for speed carbon and, and counting need for speed carbon even it seemed like that the reviews and the uh the reception of the games just seemed to get worse and worse like the next two games in the series were less well received than carbon and it just went downhill from there. And then the 10 to 15 years that we've seen since then, it's just been ups and downs with Need for Speed, which is too bad because we had four, and Carbon's a good game too, but we had like four and a half great Need for Speed games in a row. And then just these ups and downs of games that some of the fans really liked and then some the fans did not like. It's just it's just so weird that the, these games can have such a varying degree of, of difference of differing opinions. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm not a racing game fan. For me, a lot of these games look so similar. It's it's hard. It's just fast cars going down a highway at night uh, with, with speed lines going around them. But uh, I can't quite understand what was going on, what was happening after after this generation. Yeah, how would you how would you compare Need for Speed, I guess, with, you know, other racing game franchises that you play, Brian? I mean, I think my favorite is Midnight 3 Dub Edition. Uh, but not a, <laughs> not a GameCube game, but... Uh... Uh, that that is like it has a very good blend of uh street racing and arcadiness and just overall like on top like over the top stuff like you can press like two shoulder buttons yeah. and you can like drive on two wheels on a on a sedan if you wanted to like <laughs> like really wacky stuff like that but it was like it was fun entertaining you can crash through malls and stuff like that throughout your street races um need for speed is a little bit more tame in that fact but like it's still you know still fun like there is like some semblance of a storyline somewhere <laughs> In these games that like, so like so uh, okay, uh, but I, I actually did take a liking to the uh, the street gang thing. It has like a little bit of uh, kind of like those like Shadow of War yeah. like games that we know today where like, but in Carbon, like they had like three major gangs or, or whatnot. And then there's all these other other teams that are around like trying to, you know, gain a little bit of uh, stuff in the city. And then your job is just to map all Palmon City as, you know, your crew your territory yeah that's exactly i'm glad that you said that because that the first thing i thought of when i was playing shadow of mordor was like oh my god this is the same thing as need for speed carbon it's the same mechanic basically and what we're talking about is the fact like when you kill 
someone in Lord of the Rings or if they kill you, uh, their rank often changes. Or if you kill someone, like you get rid of that person, that lieutenant, so someone else takes their place. And a similar thing kind of happens in Need for Speed Carbon, where it's, yeah, like Brian said, these these gang members who are moving up in the world or moving down, and you're just trying to get more territory with that. So it was a funny like way to bring that into Lord of the Rings. I wonder if someone was like, hey, I played Need for Speed Carbon. Uh, no orcs, but you know. <laughs> it's funny because the, the uh, Shadow of Mordor games, they kind of coined that phrase i think they called it the nemesis system oh, they okay. treated it like it was the first time it had ever happened it wasn't the first but it was definitely one of the best uh uses of that that system i love the idea of having a nemesis system where like you beat you beat one person and then yeah. that person has like a vendetta against you it's really cool <laughs> uh one thing i do want to touch on though before we let brian go is the soundtrack for, oh, Need for yes. Speed carbon uh brian what did you think of this soundtrack and compared to some of the other games because like like some of the other Need for Speed games, this obviously featured a bunch of licensed tracks. You have Wolf Mother in there and The Bronx. Uh, how does it stack up compared to other games? Oh yeah, I remember. I remember Wolf Mother being there. I, I can't entirely like recall uh, like all of the EA track stuff in there, um, but I, I thought the soundtrack was was pretty good. Like as you're driving, like it has, it's got like a like a nighttime feel. Like there's this like weird blue filter all over Carbon. Uh, as well yeah. just to like emphasize like hey you really are at night in this like downtown <laughs> city whatever um but like the, the soundtrack does complement to it uh so a lot of the original material as well is, is pretty cool it definitely shines through when you're doing the canyon uh races because it, it just like the music makes it almost raise the stakes even though you, you're you're really just shadowing a car and like the, the, the other guys just try shadowing you after like when you're doing the turns and you're going like really really fast so it has this like, this really like almost like dark music as if it's like very intense and stuff like that but it also mm-hmm. lends to like kind of like this this Japanese tuna racing vibe so uh i mm-hmm. true story i actually watched tokyo drift and then immediately like wanted to play carbon after and you get the exact same feel between both <laughs> yes uh, and it it does elevate the gameplay a little bit uh especially mm-hmm. when you're a kid it it, it causes you to feel like you really are going down this like dark canyon like one-on-one with a guy and it's it's really cool uh but it has like a lot a little more like techno style as well like that um and it's fun especially in in a in a downtown downtown dark city I couldn't believe looking at the soundtrack. I I, re- I definitely remember Joker and the Thief by Wolf Mother in there because you oh, hear yeah. that song all the time. Uh, and there's a couple other ones. Uh, there's a Pharrell song in there too because it depending on what cars you had, that was like the, the genre almost. So if you had exotic cars, you would hear uh, like more rap where if you had uh, muscle cars, you'd hear more rock stuff. And right. I didn't realize that Caius has a song on here, Hurricane. And Caius, if uh, if you don't know, is actually Queens of the Stone Age's band before. Uh, oh wow! So yeah, it's when they changed before they changed their name. Uh, so I was very surprised to see Caius on the soundtrack <laughs> for this uh, uh, for this game. It's a really good soundtrack. I I don't know a ton of the bands on here, but just like watching gameplay, I enjoyed even just the instrumental tracks too, yeah. like the the songs that are by a composer that I don't know, just to make just made for the game specifically like it's a very well put together package there's a huge production value behind all the need for speed games regardless of how low they score you can't argue that they're at least like they look good and they sound great too yep i definitely agreed brian is there anything else you'd like to see about need for speed carbon before we let you go today i guess as we're talking about carbon it, it it's one of those games where i probably really enjoyed as a kid especially with like initial d being a thing and all that kind of stuff um and then as you look back on it it feels like 
a game that had some interesting ideas, but they weren't entirely fleshed out. Now, maybe there's like deadlines that they had to meet and they had to like cut some stuff out or speed things up or whatever. Um, but it feels like there's some interesting things in there. Another example I'll give is like they had a wingman system in Carbon. Yep. And uh, because it's about crews, you can't just be a one-man crew in this game. Family. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of went a little bit in that Vin Diesel world. But, like, basically, like, you had a uh, you were introduced to certain wingmen. They would do different things, had abilities. Uh, none of them were very spectacular, uh, so, which is my point. Is like, they kind of added this thing, and it was, like, kind of whatever. So, yeah. Uh, for anyone who is not familiar with the game, you had blockers uh which is they literally just like hey like i think it's like you activate a power and they're like hi like i'm just gonna like knock this car like burnout style uh <laughs> so you can continue on with your race uh i think they had a scout as well there they would and they would scout like shortcuts and all that kind of stuff for you uh the only problem with that was that for some reason they were incredibly overtuned and uh, what right. would happen is that and there must be some ai banding where like they would actually just fly through the course because they had to scout for you. So, like, <laughs> artificially, they were just faster than you no matter what. So that was, like, kind of a weird problem. Uh, and in some cases, you would just finish second by virtue of just having a scout. Uh, but So it was great to win a race, kind of, as a team. But, like, you wouldn't necessarily come in first. Uh, and then they also had a uh, drafter. Like, you can just draft behind a car, gain some speed, uh, which is all right. And yet you could hire wing wingmen, too. Like, they, they were certain ones for hire, and you just, like, uh, and some of them were tied to the story a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it wasn't like overly fleshed out. It wasn't like it would have been kind of cool if like the other crews also had wingmen. Then like, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they can work as I, I don't really know. Um, but yeah, it, it felt like you had a partner, but you were also just like not necessarily playing as like teams versus other teams. But it was just like almost like you against the world kind of thing like that. And you just yeah. had you just had a wingman. So wingman or wingwoman, there was a woman in that game too, uh, for 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 wingman. That feels like the perfect thing that you can introduce uh, with a Switch version of uh, Need for Speed to have a, a wingman because the Switch is perfect for multiplayer play. Yeah. You can pop off a controller, play it with your friend. Uh, it's funny how many of the Need for Speed things ended up in Mario Kart. You're talking about drafting and drifting, and even Mercedes ended up in uh, in Mario <laughs> Kart. It's funny how much they borrowed from from this franchise, but that's for a whole other day. Need for Speed Need for Speed Carbon is the new Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> Well, spiritual successor. Spiritual successor. Well, thank you, Brian, for coming on today. We always appreciate when you stop by and talk about uh, some fun games. And unfortunately, we uh, Midnight Club was not on the GameCube, but I'm sure in our other pursuits of podcasting, we will talk about Midnight Club 3 Dub Edition at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I actually, I unironically love that game. It's, it's so cool. And, it's really uh, good. It's actually um, cool. <laughs> I don't know why they called it Dub Edition, but like it's, it's, it's pretty sweet. And then on, sadly... The, the next one after wasn't very good but um yeah I, I think need for speed was yeah like i i i enjoyed it i don't know if i could ever go back and just play and be like and capture that same magic again as yeah. a kid yeah. uh but if you've never played it check it out um and if you feel like you have you see some of the semblance with like the lord of the rings nemesis system stuff like like a, that's a kind of kind of a funny thing to look at uh when it came to when it, if you if you play carbon again so yep yeah Screams of Middle Earth being a, being a Need for Speed in the Palmont city for sure. <laughs> I, I didn't think I would associate Lord of the Rings with Need for Speed, but <laughs> yeah. there you go. You it's have that on your connection. podcast. <laughs> it's a weird connection, but we found it in the end. Brian, thank you so much for stopping by, and uh, we look forward to having you on again real soon. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. See you later. Take care, buddy. What a nice young man. 
What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Brian, for coming on, talking about Need for Speed Carbon, a game that I did really enjoy on Wii and playing online. Uh, and clearly, Brian enjoyed his PC special <laughs> edition version that I want to see now. It's funny that all three guests that we had on today are all PC Need for Speed players. I thought for sure we'd find one PlayStation 2, or all of them would be PlayStation 2, honestly. I didn't know that the games were that popular on, on computers, but uh, I stand corrected. I knew it wasn't popular on GameCube. We're alone there, but uh, I would love to own at least one Need for Speed game at some point. I don't know which one. I'm still undecided at this point, but uh, I think I need to have one on my uh, in my collection, but we can talk about that at the end of the episode. Yes, we will, Neil. Yes, we will. But uh, unfortunately, we have to move on to two not great games. And nope. let's start with Reckless the Yakuza Missions. Yeah, Reckless the Yakuza Missions was released on November 13th, 2002, developed by Bun Kasha Games for Xbox and Stealth Studios for GameCube and PS2. It's published by Activision. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. Rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at around $20. This game is also known as Double S-T-E-A-L, Steel, in Japan. Uh, the game is actually developed in Japan and brought over to the U.S. by Activision. Um, thanks for that, Activision. We did not <laughs> we did not need this. This game is also has no relation to the Yakuza series, which is the that's a Sega franchise, right? That's right. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. A terrible title for one. Yeah. Um, not a great box art too. Just really uh, crowded and a lot of stuff going on there. And you could tell that this was, you know, a bit of an attempt to make a, a Need for Speed clone. Uh, that's why we put it in here. There's clearly a bit of that uh, that style built into this game. But what I didn't know, Neil, is that the Xbox version is completely different than the uh, PS2 and GameCube versions. Okay. Interesting. Uh, the GameCube versions are the GameCube version is basically just like the light mode of the Xbox <laughs> one. Um, okay. Because the in the GameCube and PS2 versions, they use pre-rendered Xbox videos that reported okay. over to these versions for the cutscenes. So the cutscenes just look atrocious because they're running at like a terrible frame rate. Yeah. Uh, where in the Xbox version, it's actually like the opposite problem. The cutscenes look too good. And so when you actually kind of you kind of get just like get thrown into the action, yeah. And the Xbox um, graphics are are pretty good for the time. It actually mm -hmm. I think almost it was nominated for best graphics, which lost to Splinter Cell. Funny enough, which we just covered. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the game itself is quite clunky. It has a similar feel to Need for Speed, like we said, uh, and it, it's not really worth picking up. No, not on GameCube at least. The game was very successful on Xbox and sold well in Japan, which is interesting mm -hmm. because I did not know that Xbox was sold in Japan. <laughs> I know. That was a weird one. I didn't understand that. <laughs> it's a weird combination when an Xbox game sells well in Japan, so it is notable. When I was doing yeah. research on this game, though, I was actually getting vibes to Spy Hunter, which is a game that we covered yes. back on the James Bond episode. It was They're all just driving missions. You don't really ever need to leave your car. You do everything from the car and... I bought Spy Hunter after we covered it because it sounded interesting. And when I saw this, I was like, well, this is basically Hong Kong's answer to Spy Hunter. With the exception of you get to pick between being a group of female cops or a group of male detectives, both of which are not very bright people. Like, they're both kind of stupid, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they're kind of like they lied on their resume and uh, now they're cops or detectives. Um, I guess it's trying to appeal to the teenage audience, but... 
it's still like they could have gone with maybe maybe making it a little bit more mature and gritty. Uh, just going back to like you said about the box art, it is pretty terrible. And when you look at like the <laughs> reckless font, I would have thought first of all, without looking down, okay, it's a it's a monster truck game or something like yes. it's cars smashing around, reckless. It looks like a Sunday monster truck commercial or something. But one thing I want you to uh, to, to to show some attention to here is the pedestrian on the right hand side there being absolutely destroyed. <laughs> By uh, by the car there. I don't know what kind of car it is. It looks like a DeLorean, I'm going to assume. Sure. <laughs> back to the Future is my only touchstone with cars. Uh, but on the back of the case, which I read at the beginning of the episode, the game actually encourages you to run over pedestrians, which I have never <laughs> seen before on the back of a case. Yeah, this game was like, it was all, it was trying to be edgy in that mm-hmm. way too. Like it's like really weird and almost uncomfortably edgy. But yeah. then you get these... Uh, like the cutscenes, I don't know if you saw them, Neil, but the cutscenes almost feel anime esque. Like mm. it feels like these cutscenes from a custom robo yeah. or something. It, it was really strange. And yeah, the running over people feels weird because you're kind of just like going through them instead of actually having any kind of physics around them. Yeah, no, I agree. Like the physics engine was weird. And for some reason, when you do r- hit people, sometimes it's the reaction is very interesting. Like the ragdoll physics is funny. The, the, the people go flying like through buildings and stuff. It, it's actually kind of hilarious i think it'd be a really good streaming game but sometimes your car just goes or the people go right through your car uh which is which is too bad like i don't know why i think this game was rushed like you look at it it's just it's just bad like there's also inconsistent obstacles on the streets like sometimes your your car will clip right through something that's pretty big like a lamppost uh but then you hit like but then your car just smashes into a stop sign like it's kind of inconsistent on what things will slow you down and what things won't uh, but the people flying flying around everywhere is pretty funny, but I think it's only going to be fun for maybe five minutes at most. Yeah, and it's set in Hong Kong, so at first I was like, oh, maybe it'll be like Sleeping Dogs, you know, cause, no. which is also in Hong Kong. And no, this is a – it's very, I mean, I couldn't tell that was Hong Kong at all. It's just like a generic city for the – other than the fact that you're driving on the left side, which you do in the next game we're going to talk about, Neil. Yeah, very, very good uh, very good transition there, Mike. Let, let's move on to the last game here for the day, which is Lotus Challenge, which was developed by Kuju Entertainment. They also made Fireblade and Battalion Wars, so a good studio. Uh, published by Ignition. This game is also on PS2 in Europe only. It's on Windows and Xbox in North America, uh, but it has an only four GameCube logo on the case. We'll talk about that in a moment. The game rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at around $40. And if I had to describe the case when you look at the game, it looks like something that you get for free in like an auto show gift bag while you're leaving. <laughs> this game yeah, looks like does. a brochure for Lotus. Like It looks it terrible. Like, I, I don't know what was going on with this. Why did they... What, what's the picture on the front of the case? Like, it's an off-center photo of the car. Like, it, it's not centered right. It just bothers me. And I'm not, like, an artistic person by any stretch of the imagination. But this would have been my last choice for a case cover. Yeah, they didn't do a great job with that. And even when you start off the game, the menu... The, the title screen has no music or animation. Oh, no. I thought the game was broken. <laughs> like, honestly. Uh, and, oh, yeah, back to the only four on there. So, yeah, I one of my, you know, tasks when we started this podcast was I went through every game and, uh, you know, checked some databases and to see, you know, what were the only four GameCube games that, that were on the console. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of games that have the only four sticker but either very quickly became not GameCube exclusive or were never GameCube exclusive in the first place. And Lotus mm-hmm. Challenge is one of them. Uh, they have the only four little um, sticker side ribbon thing on the on the, the top left corner, but it is on other consoles, like Neil said, which is just, mm-hmm. just starts off the weirdness of this game. Yeah. Because uh, this game is technically 
a successor to the Lotus Turbo Challenge games on the Amiga. Right. Uh, and those games, if you picture, if you know Outrun, uh, they're they're very similar to those games in terms of uh, aesthetic, and they're really fun. They're honestly some of the best games made for that time. People still play them to this day. Yeah. And uh, and talk about how good they are. They're beautiful looking games with amazing music. Everyone should check those out. And this game is not that at all it's so sad that this is meant to be like the spiritual successor to those games the yeah the three lotus challenge games in the 90s those all rated eights and nines and they were praised for their speed and multiplayer which was a big deal back in the day the amiga is a pc it's not technically a home console but i think that this game would have benefited from just having those three games in in this game instead let me play those i want to play those other than this thing because the controls on this thing neil oh my god my god it was awful it's terrible there's a the tutorial in the game is absolutely atrocious like you go (laughs) through basically this kind of driving school thing uh test track i suppose but uh from the reviews that i saw on youtube it seemed like that the the players were just having trouble getting through that (laughs) because the game the the tutorial doesn't actually prepare you much for what the game is about to be it's very slow and and methodical like instead of being a fast racing game around tracks you're just kind of taking these tight turns and it's not at all what you're about to do in the game I was really excited for this game because I thought this was going to go back to my love of g- garage mode. You mm-hmm. know, I thought this was going to be uh, taking almost like career mode, take a Lotus, uh, race with it. You know, you have to tinker with it uh, as you go through your career as a Lotus driver. Because Lotus is, if, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a British car company. Uh, they're beautiful cars, uh, you know, exotic cars for sure. Very expensive, but very cool. So this is a good niche game in terms of being able to play these cars that you will definitely never own for the most part right and and tinker around with them and you know try and get a good feel with them it's a lotus branded game you know lotus is lending their name uh and their car you know designs to this so you would have thought that lotus would have wanted to put a lot more effort into making this more of a customizing game than a racing game Mm -hmm. uh because that's where it would have shone for me at least but instead it's this you know really sad racer almost that that just doesn't perform well at all every time you move it's just like the stiffest most sensitive controls yeah uh it's just you're getting jerked around like uh, it's almost as if someone was like this is probably how racing actually is and they tried to develop it like that it's more of a hydroplane simulator from the looks yeah. of it like oh my god yes it looks like you're constantly just swerving over puddles basically which is too bad and yeah and like we just talked about with the Need for Speed franchise, how they had dozens uh, dozens of, of customizable licensed cars, it's very strange to go back to a game where you can only drive in one vehicle, the Lotus. Uh, we talked about the Beetle Adventure racing on N64. It worked in the 90s having a game that's specifically tailored towards one manufacturer, but to go back to that after playing Need for Speed, Burnout, Midnight Club, and only having one option, it seems like a bit of a step back and out of place in the 2000s, which is too bad. One of the funniest things about this game that I found was that there's an option to control your car by rotating the joystick like you would a car wheel. The circular steering. The yes. circular steering. Who the hell thought of that? <laughs> it is It is so weird. and It's, it's gimmicky. One of, it's gimmicky. It's definitely like this game was trying to over-engineer a lot of stuff to be yeah. like, look, we're going to be different. And sorry to just go back to your point about like playing with only one kind of uh, car – I do like the idea of it a lot. It's just the execution is horrible because mm. you can play as as old Lotuses from the 60s 
and then you can play as you know 80s ones 90s ones current day ones that was really cool to me like that was the one thing i was really interested in okay but then the fact that i couldn't really tinker with them that much and i just was it was just a crappy like racing sim that mm. just then then you know that went out you would have had to make it a very specific kind of game uh, because just Lotus is a, a unique car brand. So you could have done it well, but it, they didn't do it well. Make a good point. I think that they could do a one-car manufacturer game again, but it has to be super specific and very niche. Like, I would love, like, a station wagon simulator where you're just taking your family across country, like Chevy Chase or something. I think oh that would be kind God. of fun. <laughs> but, yeah, not a racing game. I don't think a racing game is the right fit anymore. Like, no. just taking your Dodge Grand Caravan around the neighborhood, getting groceries, taking the kids to soccer practice. That's the simulation game that we're all looking for last thing i want to say about this game is the british announcer he is hilarious uh he basically <laughs> reprimands you on anything you do wrong almost reminding me of that wave race uh cheat that we found yeah uh he tells you uh, it's like uh what are you doing you're driving like your gran <laughs> surely your dog can do this blindfolded and he's just like so uh so angry at you for everything and it Perfect. gets super annoying because he only has those two phrases oh that's too bad i wish he would have i wish they would have put more budget into that and just made him more yeah more dynamic we need more of that i need i need some more down talking in video games just give me crap when i die a bunch of times in metroid but mike with that i think it's time to move on to the closing segments uh for today but before we do we were supposed to have a friend of ours join in ali who unfortunately couldn't uh couldn't join us today but he did have a few notes uh to uh to write in about uh, do you have those uh, to read I do, Neil, and this goes into our recommended segment here. You know, what what game would we recommend for listeners to pick up? And for Ali, he said it's a close call between Underground 2 and Most Wanted for the best Need for Speed game on the GameCube. Uh, Underground 2, he said, is very neon-like, very bright, vibrant aesthetic, where Most Wanted had much more gritty visuals. Uh, some call them almost piss-color filters. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the games in that early, mid-PS3 era had that. You know, uh, see Demon Souls, for example. Mm. Um, but visually, Underground 2 win- wins out, but gameplay, Most Wanted probably wins out in terms of maps and location. Uh, Underground 2 probably has the better location, uh, and story-wise, they're both kind of dumb, so that doesn't really matter. Uh, and uh, and Ali does say that overall, Underground 2 would slightly win out as his pick uh, for recommended uh, for the pod. Nice. Well, I, I, I'm glad that Ali could recommend a game. I was going to ask him when he came on what game he would suggest because I would like to own a Need for Speed game on GameCube. I don't think I need to own all five. That seems a bit excessive unless you're going for a complete collection. Or you're just trying to collect all the games in the series, maybe. But for someone like me, like, you gave me Burnout 2. Love that. So I have that game. Now I feel like I need a Need for Speed game. So I guess I'll be hunting down one of the Underground games. But see, the thing is, once I have one of the Underground games, I'm going to want under the other Underground game. Cause it's, <laughs> I know, that's the problem. It's a duology. I personally think Most Wanted is the game to go for. And, I mean, Ali said like that's a close second. Uh, I think that game does everything well enough, and it's a lot of fun to play, too. It also has a big modding community um, mm. where people have enhanced the graphics of it today uh, to make it look really, really good. If you just you know Google Most Wanted uh, 2005 mods, uh, you can see how good people have made it look on PC. So that's really cool as well. So, yeah, mm. Most Wanted or Underground 2, uh, even Underground... Uh, and even Hot Pursuit 2. Honestly, you can't go wrong with almost any of the Need for Speed games that we've talked about today. I, I'd say our recommendation is less of a, a specific game, but more of Don't Buy Lotus Challenge or Yakuza, uh, <laughs> or Reckless that Yakuza Missions. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think I think any of the Need for Speed games are probably a hit on, yeah. on GameCube for you. Yeah. Look after Hot Pursuit 2 and Carbon 
way later. But with that, Mike, what do you think the future of Need for Speed is on Nintendo hardware? And specifically, I suppose, uh, the Switch. We did have the 2020 uh, Hot Pursuit Remastered come to Switch finally, which did okay, mid-70s. Do you think that we'll see another remaster come out, or do you think we'll see like a new Need for Speed game? We won't see a new new Need for Speed game on on the Switch. I can like guarantee that. Uh, we'll see a new Need for Speed game because they will always come out as long as EA wants to profit from them. Sure. But uh, I yeah, I can see another remaster or a collection. I could see an underground collection coming for uh, to the Switch. That's probably the what I would say is my easiest it's, prediction. It's the safe answer these days, it seems. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, it seems like EA seemed to want to support the Switch in weird ways. Like, we randomly get FIFA and apparently Need for Speed, but they're not giving us all of the EA franchises, which is which is interesting. I, I think that you're right, we'll probably see another remastered. I would love to see Underground 1 and 2 remastered and put onto Switch. I think that that yep. would make the most sense. Yep. We don't we don't need new Need for Speed games. Like, no, I don't, I, I don't want a new Need for Speed game on the Switch. I... I, I... I mean, we have, I'm tw- sure we have 24. <laughs> I'm sure that'll fulfill some people for sure who are, you know, want to play everything on the Switch. I get that. And I, I definitely understand that. But I think no matter what, a racing game like Need for Speed or just any racing games nowadays uh, that aren't arcadey will be better served on a PC or other consoles. Mike, I, I got something for you here. So yeah. N- Nintendo has a direct surprise direct announcement. <laughs> okay. Cut to a commercial. It's all silent. A man walks <sighs> into the DMV or Service Ontario if you're in Ontario. <laughs> He presents a speeding ticket to to the lady at the or the man at the desk, whatever. She presents him with a code to take to the Nintendo eShop. That code gives him, as long as he has the online service, of course, for fifty bucks a year, gets him the cancelled N sixty four Need for Speed game that we did not get uh, in the nineties. Yes. Trade in your speeding ticket now. Get the cancelled N sixty four game that we never got. Oh, I would like that. I would <laughs> like that. But unfortunately, Neil, the N sixty four game is is done. In all seriousness, though, I'd love to see the N64 game that got cancelled to come out, because I think that that would be pretty yes. good, because Beetle Adventure Racing was a great game, so that gives me high hopes for whatever that game was. I would love to see that come out, but that, that dream is most likely dead. <laughs> <laughs> I just want speeding tickets to be traded in for new video games. <laughs> but Mike, while I'm, uh, while I'm out there speeding around looking for new copies of Need for Speed, uh, why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 89 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. Next week, episode 89 is all about golf games. And because golf season is just around the corner, spring is coming up, the grass is getting green. And it's time to talk about the four Tiger Woods games that were on the GameCube, as well as Swingers Golf and Outlaw Golf, which is a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> so I cannot wait to play uh, play that again uh, this week to get ramped up for it. But yeah, golf games, it'll be a good time. We'll have some guests on and um, yeah, we'll enjoy the season. Yeah, yeah, the new golf season is upon us. You like to golf. I I like golf. I like mini golf, personally. And yeah. there are a couple of handful of golf games that have captured my interest over the years, specifically Mario Golf and Golf Story and a few random PC games thrown in there over the years. So I'm excited to talk about that. You owned some of the Tiger Woods games on GameCube back in the day, too, right? I remember. Oh, you... I do. I do. Yep. Yeah. I remember thinking, okay, this kid might actually be a little weird. Maybe I won't be friends <laughs> with him. But... <laughs> Clearly, that was not the case. But no, yeah, you were one of the only ones that I knew that owned those games. So... Really excited to talk about those games with you. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 88 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a five-star rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash cool. Thank you to everyone over there who supports us. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the GameCube Pod. And now you can join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel titled The GameCube Was Cool. Share us with your friends and family. Tell your Lamborghini Mercury Lago, Neil says hi. How do you say it? 
Murcielago, I, I think. I actually don't know. That so to be right. fair, I it's just funnier to hear you say it. <laughs> that's probably wrong. So tell your Lamborghini Marcuccio, Neil says hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye bye. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. So you finally convinced your you finally convinced your <laughs> wife to get. Oh, I'm really peeking. This is awesome. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so okay. You sound like a speaking spell. <laughs> is it really peeking that yeah, could bad? You, could, you, could you turn that game down? No idea, dude. It's turned all the way. It's turned all the way down normally. You sound like the voice of my bop it on its last legs. <laughs> bop, bop it. it. Twist, Twist it. it. <laughs> <laughs>